Are you ready? This is Moffat on the Mic on the A1 Sports Network. Bow to the masters. Break it down. How you doing, everybody? And welcome to the Moffat on the Mic radio show. We are live, as always, courtesy of the A1 Sports Network on this Monday evening. Doesn't feel like Monday evening because the sun is still out and it's still light outside at 7 o'clock at night. I am Craig Moffat, and the show would not be complete without the production stylings of the one and only Chris Klim. What's up, Craig? Clem never disappoints with the guests, and today is no question, no exception, as tonight we are we once again joined by our very good friend. He's been on our show multiple times. He has the voice tailor-made for radio, and I have every intention, although my life is pretty worthless, that if I ever had a life story to be put on audio, he would have to be the guy to narrate it. Oh, 1,000% agreed. Okay. Uh, we are, of course, talking about one of the writers for the SB Nation Buffalo Rumblings blog, one of the co-hosts of the Bill Eve podcast. We are talking about, of course, Jamie D'Amico. He's going to be joining us at 730. We're going to be talking Buffalo Bills football, recapping their their uh, pretty impressive draft overall. I really like their first-round pick, uh, Elam from uh, Florida. And I like the draft pick of uh, – also drafted James Cook, which I thought was actually a really solid pick. Mm-hmm. them as well so he's going to join us we're going to talk about the bills draft we're going to talk about the nfl draft in general the bills offseason and uh the expectations i think the buffalo bills this year are going to be under heavy expectations to get back to the super bowl which they i think they need to do soon otherwise the heat starts to turn up a little bit on sean mcdermott's uh job because you can keep getting to the playoffs as much as you want but if you don't get to the super bowl that's the ultimate goal no you're absolutely think, right and you know, a miss. If with this roster, with their talent, there's no reason why they shouldn't get to the Super Bowl this year. No, you're absolutely right. And it's not like they really lost anyone. Sure, they lost Cole Beasley, but they replaced him with Jamison Crowder, which is, if not just as good, better than what Cole Beasley, Cole Beasley was bringing to the table last year. And they upgraded immensely at with their draft this offseason. And plus, let's not forget, they did this without Tredavious White last year. Tredavious White missed most of the season. Yeah, so we're going to get into all that stuff. We're going to get into their offseason. We're going to get into um, Stefan Diggs' extension that he just got. So we're going to have a lot to do. If you have a question for Jamie about the Buffalo Bills or just the AFC East in general, feel free to comment on Clem's feed during the live cast. We'll get it on the air for you. And uh, after Jamie's on, we'll get into some NFL draft stuff. We'll do the whole rest of the show will be about the NFL draft. Um, the Jets, I have n- I couldn't have asked for a better draft as far as I'm concerned. Now, on paper, of course, it's always on paper right now, okay? But being with Joe Douglas, what I loved about the Jets' strategy was they were aggressive. The other part I loved about their strategy was they never forgot about offense. Mm -hmm. I think that was very important. I know the draft Sauce Gardner fourth overall. I will admit I was very surprised, and in a good way. Not in a bad way. Let me get that out of the no, way. I, Let me get that out of the way right now. I would say leading up to the draft, I think the talks were, you know, it was either Kate Vaughn or Jermaine Johnson going at four. You know, it wasn't really like would I like the only other person I thought the only other person I thought that was gonna go fourth was Icky. Mm-hmm. I thought Icky had the opportunity to go fourth. Now, I think for the Jets to draft Sauce Gardner 
fourth overall leads me to believe that they are very pleased with the progress Makai Becton is making so far this offseason. And they're very and they're probably pretty close to getting George Fant signed to an extension. Because you're not making that deal. You're not drafting sauce unless you know that those two pieces are in place. And you like what you hear about Becton and you like what you hear about about you know the negotiations between uh, Fant and the organization. So well, that's what I was telling one of our loyal listeners, Mike Laws. I was telling him about this, like leading up to the draft. Like we can't draft an offensive tackle on the sole fact that we have to be we as the Jets have to be prepared for Becton to start all seventeen games this year. Yeah, you know we can't we can't because say we say we were to draft Evan Neal Ikiaguanu at at four, and Becton is ready to play and he stays healthy all year and kills it. Just wasted a draft pick right there because Fant has certainly earned his spot on this team for the next couple of years, at least. At, yeah. at tap. I I agree. I mean, yeah. now I don't know what he's worth on the open market because again, he's coming off one good year, so there's something you got to take. You got to take that into consideration. But this scheme, this blocking scheme, works for him. It plays to his strengths. Right. And you can't deny the fact that he was very good in that left tackle spot mm-hmm. when they really needed him last year. So. I think Douglas knows that. And like I said, I don't think they're drafting sauce if they don't feel good about the situation right now with Becton and with Finn. Right. So, but we'll get into all that a little bit later. There were a lot happened over the weekend at draft. You know, that's why the NFL draft is one of the best events of all time because you just never know what's going to go down. The Eagles making the trade for AJ Brown, the Cardinals making the trade for Hollywood Brown. So there was a lot, a lot to digest. And we'll get into it all after our spot with Jamie coming up. Before Jamie comes on, which will be in about 15 minutes or so, maybe a little earlier, I just want to get into some baseball stuff to open the show. I mean, we'll get that out of the way now, so then we can just focus entirely on the NFL draft for the rest of the show. Um, Listen, not much more you can really say about how good the Mets and Yankees have been playing. The Mets Mets take another series. They take a series over the Phillies. They win last night 10-6. Scherzer gets the win. I know he gave up a few home run balls, but other than that, he was pretty pretty effective overall. Uh, Yankees swept another series as they swept the Royals over the weekend. They went six to four yesterday. I think Judge Homer twice. What I find kind of funny about the narrative with the Yankees right now is that everybody's trying to act like this is nothing that this is they've never seen this before, and the the narrative is like, oh well, this is a different Yankee team than the ones in the past. No, it's the same exact Yankee team that it was last year because. They do the same shit every year. They always come out of the gate slow where they're losing to Tampa or they're losing to Boston or losing to Toronto. They lose a series in Camden Yards to the Orioles and everything. Then they get a stretch of bad teams. They get a stretch of bad teams. The same thing happened last year. And then the Yankees go on their run, and then all of a sudden – they're back to being the Yankees. And now everybody tries to pretend. Like I, I saw something on with Brandon Tierney today who he basically said, oh, yeah, well, this, this just feels different to other Yankee teams. No, it doesn't. It's exactly the same as it was last year and the right. year before that and the year before that. The Yankees always come out of the gate slow. And then after they get that, they get a stretch that builds their confidence then they start going for the division. They start making a run for the, you know, making a run for the division. 
I'm more surprised at how good the Mets are playing, though, this year because they have beaten some very good teams to start the year. Right. Mets have not gotten a very easy schedule to open up the season. I know they had the I know they got the home and home with Arizona, and I know they had the series against Washington and everything. But they had to play so far they played the Phillies. This is the fourth this series coming up this weekend against the Phillies in Philadelphia. This is already the fourth time they played the Phillies between April and May. Yeah. Insane. That, I mean, the way they did the schedule, I thought was so shitty. But whatever. <laughs> they went to St. Louis and beat the Cardinals two of three. They played the Giants at home and won 100 games last year and beat them two of three. Okay. Take the Arizona series side, and then they've beaten the Phillies in each series they've played so far this year, including led this series over the weekend. Now, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, say, oh, well, it's, it's leaps and bounds better than what the Yankees have done. Both teams have been impressive because the Yankees have beaten the teams they should beat, and the Mets have beaten the teams that they have trouble beating. And that's a testament to Buck. That's a testament oh, yeah. to education. That's a testament to spending $40 million a year on Scherzer. Or the or Bassett. Oh yeah, by the way, they just had a no hitter on Friday. And you want to know why their that no hitter on Friday was so impressive? Because the Mets bullpen has been volatile to say the least. Mm-hmm. The fact that they got five guys together to to no hit the Phillies. Okay, and making it even more impressive was the fact that Edwin Diaz struck out the side in the ninth inning, striking out Harper, Real Muto. And Castellanos. Yeah, and I was just about to say, let's not forget that the Phillies have a good hitting team with Castellanos, Harper, Real Muto, Alec Baum, Gene Segura. There's a bunch of good hitters on this Phillies team. And the fact that, like you just said, it makes it even more impressive that with how underperforming this Mets bullpen has been, was able to get it done for them, is even is even much better. And just to, to stick it right to the Phillies was even even better. Yeah, it was just a it was a great series all around. McGill has been unbelievable to say the least. Taiwan Walker had a good game the other day on Saturday, his first game back from the IL. And then Scherzer, you know, listen, I know Scherzer gave up a you know gave up two home runs to Schwarber, and then uh, Camargo hit the other home run for the Phillies. But overall, or Harper hit a home run off him too. But overall, he's doing what you need him to do. He is four and zero on the season. He has an ERA of two point five two, I think. He's been every bit worth the forty plus million we're paying. They're paying him for the year. He has he has solidified that rotation. Outside, you know, it sucks that Degrom is not part of it right now, but Bassett has pitched really well. Carrasco has pitched really well. McGill has pitched really well. Diaz has saved three games in a row. Has an ERA under two. His hit, his swing and miss is his, when his slider is working, it's mm-hmm. unhittable. It is one thousand percent unhittable. And it was funny because the other day I was talking to Keith about uh, the, we were talking about the Kelnick trade, right? Mm-hmm. And because Robinson Cano got DFA'd uh, today, which we'll get to in a minute. But the funny thing about the Kelnick trade is, yes, I still think it's a little early to kind of proclaim myself the winner of the Kelnick trade type of thing. But right now, today, Jared Kelly's been in the league now for over a year. Okay. 
He hasn't gotten any better. In fact, I think he's gotten worse. Edwin Diaz has been much more reliable for the Mets than Jared Kelnick has been for the Seattle Mariners. Yes. And it's getting to the point where I think the Mariners are just going to get tired of him because they're like, he can't hit. That's the worst part about it. He's not hitting. Like, he's not even making contact with the ball. His average right now is like 140 on the season. He has struck yeah, out they could, he has struck out 29 times so far between April 7th and today. And that's out of and that's almost 50% of his at bats he struck out. Like where do you draw the line? Can you imagine if he was doing this in New York right now? But they would be like trade his ass. They would be trade they would say trade him. So Diaz and listen, I know Diaz is a volatile closer. We've always had our share of volatile closers. It doesn't matter. You go back to K-Rod, you go back to Billy Wagner, you go back to even go back to Franco. They've all been volatile. They've all made things interesting over the years. Doesn't matter where they've been, they've always made things interesting. But right now, like when Diaz is on point, he is unhittable. But he has a penchant for throwing that one pitch that results in a home run. Got some breaking news real quick. Don't tell me Jamie. Book, Book, Book Showalter and Yoan Lopez have been have been suspended for intentionally throwing at Kyle Schwarber on Sunday. Okay. I'm fine with it. Whatever. No, I like it. Shows how badass our, our manager is. Well, Yoan Lopez also has to kind of cut the shit too. Okay. We, we, we understand why you threw at Arenado in St. Louis. It was because your Mets players were getting hit all the time. But the Mets hitters weren't getting hit at all during the Philly series. Right. I understand why he did it because Schwarber homered off you twice. But don't make that a habit. Don't make that yeah. a habit. You know, that, it, it has nothing to do with you. You want to throw a little inside the Schwarber, that's fine. But don't intentionally try to hit the guy. Right. Because Schwarber will beat the piss out of Juan Lopez. But, like – the same problems that permeate the Phillies, you know, we've always talked about how the Phillies just have no pitching and they've sacrificed defense just to get a lot of big bats. And a prime example of that was last night during the game, because I don't know, I think it was Jeff McNeil who's been on a tear by the way this year. Mm -hmm. Jeff McNeil, I think hit a ball into the left center field gap. And I think if it was a outfielder who was more defensive oriented or faster they would have made the catch. Instead, it was Schwarber playing left field, and Schwarber took a really weird kind of bounce, like uh, angle to it, and the ball got away from him, and it wound up being a double, and it led to like a run score. You know, that's the problem with the Phillies right now is, number one, the Phillies' bullpen is bad. But the other part is, and while it's great to have a lineup of Real Muto, Harper, Castellanos, and Schwarber, your outfield defense is is really bad. And that's what's going to kill them in the long run. It has nothing to do with whether they, they – yeah, they can mash like anybody. But right now, that that to me was like a microcosm of the issues they have right now. Like you, the ball just goes right past Schwarber. Like literally goes right by him. That's the problem. Schwarber's not a catcher. I mean, Schwarber's not an outfielder. He's meant for either behind the plate where he was originally uh, slotted when he was on the Cubs 
Where's the DH? He's not an outfielder. He really isn't an outfielder. His bat is great in that lineup, as you saw it last night. Two home runs off of the arguably the best pitcher in baseball in Scherzer. His bat's great, but the he's he's not he's not an outfielder. He's a DH guy. They gotta they gotta they gotta figure out how to do that with 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 Schwarber. Now as for Robinson Cano, he was DFA today. Look at this point, but this is a different team though. They are a first place team. They are ahead of the Marlins, I think, by four and a half games going into tonight. You, you can't let – if Robinson Cano is not getting the job done, you got to get rid of him. That's mm-hmm. it. You just got to cut your losses and just say, you know what, it's just not working. You have other guys on this team that are playing better. Dom Smith had a big day yesterday. That could have been him that was DFA'd. Yeah. He could have been optioned if, you know, he didn't have a good game last night. Yeah, because he, he hasn't been playing good really at all. You can't you can't send down a guy who just goes four for four. Yeah, but Guillaume had a pretty good game. But, but Guillaume is a, he's a special type of player because he's – his defense is off the charts, go. And he can play multiple positions. He had a huge double last night that got two runs in. Travis Jankowski, I think, has been great since they brought him up. They got him up. Oh, so He's got great speed. He's a great outfielder. He's a very good defensive outfielder. Cano, I mean, you just kind of saw the same shit with Cano. Like, and, and I wanted Cano to succeed. It's not like I didn't want him to succeed or, you know, and everything. But you saw the lazy swings at the plate. You saw like the lazy jogs to first base, you know, he was loafing it. Let's just call it what it was. He was loafing it. He's 38 years old. He doesn't have the range anymore to be an everyday second baseman. He doesn't, you know, and his bat is not good enough to be the designated hitter every day. Mm -hmm. You cut your losses. Cohen's got the money. It doesn't matter. And that's it. You just leave it at that. You know, you just leave it at that. You just, you're paying Robson Cano to go away. And that's how, and that's just how you take it. There's nothing more, nothing less you could say about it at this point. There's just guys playing better than Robinson Cano. Right, absolutely right. Like he, I mean, like I said, we weren't. Me and you were both on the on the train that you know we wanted Cano to do good. But yeah. I mean, look, it's just a, it was just a matter of this team is good. You know, we can't be held down by big contracts and bad with, with a bad player. You know, it just it yeah, just wasn't working good. out for the Mets. If this was the Will Ponds, they would have kept them. They would have kept oh, them yeah. the roster for no reason whatsoever. But at this point in time, it's just – it's not working. And you could see that Cano looks old. He looks slow. But more importantly, Clem, Cano looks like he doesn't give a shit. Cano looks like he doesn't care. Like, he's making $40 million. I think he cares right now about playing hard or playing – you know, he's always been all about the money. He's always been that guy. And like I said, I will never forget the series with the Yankees and the Tigers when Jeter broke his ankle. Jeter broke his ankle in that series, and people were expecting Robinson Cano to be like the new leader of the team with Jeter because Jeter wasn't going to play or be in the dugout or anything. And you could tell he didn't want the job. You can tell. At the end of the day, what I've made – in hindsight, what I have made the trade – Kelnick for Diaz or whatever, I probably wouldn't have traded Kelnick just based off of his his skills at the time, you know. Mm-hmm. But the crazy part of it all is right now the Mets have are winning that trade because Kelnick is just really not playing well. And what I see happening with Kelnick is if the Mariners don't get something out of him soon, he's going to be part of a package trade for another player, for like a superstar. Right. Because the Mariners are competing this year. They're competing for a playoff spot. They're competing for a playoff spot. So they have to they have to start thinking about that. 
They already traded Justin Dunn to get uh, Suarez and Jesse Winker. Who's to think that they won't package Kelnick in a deal to get, you know, another player, like another, like a stud player? No, you're absolutely right. And like you said, like you already have, you know, Mitch Hanninger back there, Jesse Winker, and Julio Rodriguez. Jared Kelnick is going to be fighting for a spot because those guys aren't going anywhere. Julio Rodriguez was a top three prospect going into this year. Good. I was going to say, they spent big money on Jesse Winker, and Mitch Hanninger is not a bad player. He's going to have to be 140 batting average is just not going to cut it, especially for a guy who was who was viewed, who was basically proclaimed a blue chip, can't miss top five prospect. He yeah. is really struggling. And it's getting and it's getting worse. And the thing is, you can't keep sending him down because you're gonna run out of options eventually. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a huge deal right now for the Mariners. And like I said, the Mets have gotten ten times more out of Edwin Diaz. Since this trade was being made, than anything that the Mariners have gotten out of Jared Kelly. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, but the Mets get ready for a series tonight with the Braves. They have a doubleheader tomorrow as part of one of the makeup games that got uh, postponed when the, uh, the lockout was in place. If they can find a way to take three or four from the Braves this week and just really put a, not a nail in their coffin but to really, really, like, set them back, that'd be a huge plus for this team. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, this would be such such a good series win to go for them. Like, And the Braves are a team that they notoriously have problems with. They just – they do not play well against Atlanta. Like, this is – I mean, look, we, like you mentioned earlier, the Mets have been very – played very well against teams like the Cardinals, the Giants, the Phillies this year. All good teams. Braves are Braves are look repeating. I mean, defending MLB champs. Like this is again, this is a good good benchmark to see what the hell the Mets could do, you know, and if they can, you know, go the distance this year potentially, and keep the and keep this series winning streak alive. So I know Jamie's coming on soon, but there was one little thing that just came up. I saw it on my phone on my Facebook thing that according to, um, I think it's a tweet by an NBA beat writer. I, I don't remember who it was off the top of my head that. Um, well, the Utah Jazz got eliminated last week from the playoffs, and Rudy Gobert is basically going to go to management and say it's either me or Donovan Mitchell that you have to trade. Yeah, I wonder who they're going to trade. What's up? I said I wonder who they'd be trading. Well, it's pretty interesting, though, when you think about it, because while the Knicks fan is going to be like, oh, bring Donovan Mitchell here, bring Donovan Mitchell here, Keith and I were talking about this like last week, and Keith made a really good point. Donovan Mitchell hasn't won shit with the Utah Jazz. Like, he hasn't won a damn thing. Like, he's not – he has not won a championship. I don't even think he's been – he hasn't even been to a final. No. So, my question is, what do Nick fans think they're going to get with Donovan Mitchell coming to New York if he does come to me? Probably nothing. Honestly, more of the same. You, you want to hear – I'll, I'll, you know what? If I was a Knicks fan, I wouldn't want Donovan Mitchell. I would rather have Rudy Gobert. You have a, you have a bigger problem with at center than you do at guard right now. That solves your problem of whether you have to overpay for Mitchell Robinson this offseason. But exactly. like, think about that. Like, I know they're going to want Donovan Mitchell because he's a New York native and, you know, whatever. But Donovan Mitchell hasn't won shit in Utah. Like, what would possess Nick fans to think that Donovan Mitchell's going to come here and be, like, the new star of New York and he's going to lead the Knicks to a championship? Because I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. <clears throat> 
Now, in a Donovan Mitchell trade, if you were Utah, would you take Rudy, uh, Julius Randle's contract back to offset the salary? Absolutely not. So you would make Absolutely. the trade. Who would you take back? If I'm if I'm besides, the Utah, it's like ridiculous draft picks, by the way. I would need I would need R.J. Barrett. I would need Emmanuel quickly, and probably two to three draft picks, first round picks. You know who I would probably want also? No. I think I'd want Quentin Grimes. Yeah. Quentin Miles McBride. I'd want one of their draft picks from last year. No, I'd take uh, Evan Fournier too. And as we get out of here. Well, I know, but he would be a good piece off the bench for the Jazz. Jamie is here. All right, put him through. There he is. Joining us, as always, one of our personal favorites. Guy's got the smoothest voice. Of all time, we are talking to, of course, one of the co-hosts of the Believe podcast and uh, writer for Buffalo Rumblings, Jamie D'Amico. Jamie, what's going on? Hey, how are my brothers from my Long Island mother? (laughs) Doing great as always. How is everything with you? You know what? Couldn't be better. It it truly is the most wonderful time of the year, is it not? I mean, we just got through the draft. I know. We've been... I had had enough of mock drafts. I had had enough of everything. I just wanted to get the draft finally going. And yeah. it didn't disappoint at all. It was it was just the whole the whole weekend is just great. And now just well, you, like the calm now you got to calm down from it all because so much happened not only with the Jets but with Buffalo with the trades over the weekend of AJ Brown and and uh, Hollywood Brown there's just so much happened but now it's just now you come to the decompression part of it. You guys have to be especially thrilled at what went on with with the Jets. Um, unfortunately, the the strong got stronger, and you know the Patriots embarrassed themselves, and that's never a bad thing, right? Yeah, you know, Jamie, like I agree. I didn't understand their thought process with drafting a guard, and it wasn't even the fact that Cole Strange isn't a bad player. I think he's he's probably a good player. Just sure. no, he's not a first rounder. He wasn't even projected to be a second rounder either. I think he was like the earliest he was considered, at least from stuff I was reading, was like third, maybe fourth round, like latest. And and here's the thing. If he turns into a good player, that's fine. You know, that's that's great. But the issue that you run into is that you're not getting value for that pick. Yeah. You know, it's – if you're taking a third rounder or a fourth rounder in the first round and they turn out to be an all pro, that's wonderful. But if you can get him in the second round and bring in another first round graded player, mm-hmm. now you've got value and now you're ahead of, your, of where you need to be. That's the thing about the Patriots. I just don't understand them because they, they never seem to like to pick in the first round. They always seem right. to, like to trade down or trade out. I mean, last year was different because they drafted Mac Jones and they really needed a quarterback, so they had no choice but to stay right. at the spot. But most of the drafts we've ever seen the Patriots, and they traded down again to get Cole Strange. They traded down <laughs> to 29, and like it just—it was just very odd. It's just the whole – and then they drafted a quarterback in the fourth round after they drafted with Mac Jones. So, like, that was another weird you know, decision. By right, them. right. So I, I'm happy. i'm i'm definitely happy that they did that all right so jamie let's um let's talk about the bills draft uh from this weekend Uh, i just want to get your overall thoughts on the class as a whole um 
uh, their first round pick was uh, Elam, the cornerback from Florida. And mm-hmm. um, I just wanted to see what you were thinking. And is Elam an automatic starter opposite Tredavious White? The Bills, this administration, Brandon Bean, uh, Sean McDermott, they don't love starting rookies. So even if you're a first-round pick, they tend to make these players earn it. And even when it's very clear that they are the best player at their position on the team, they will they will insert the veteran into the lineup. I, I can't remember the guy's name, but some like journeyman was starting over um, Tremaine Edmonds for most of most of Edmonds' rookie year. And it wasn't until his second year that they put Matt Milano in at uh, the other linebacker position. And they were clearly two of the better players on the defense, but they just won't hand it. So the Bills have Dane Jackson as uh, the cornerback. He is going into his second or third year. He isn't great, which is why the Bills needed to pick a corner in the first round. But hey, you know what? Uh, Kyer Elam is a pretty sticky cornerback. He's soft against the run, which surprised the hell out of me that they would draft a guy who's bad against the run. I actually, on draft day, said Kyer Elam is terrible against the run, and as a result, the Bills will not draft him. <laughs> that tweet you did not it. age well. Yeah, you, drink, you jinxed it. <laughs> But he's a good player, though. You know, I just didn't think that he was going to be their type. He will probably not start to begin the season, but he is going to he's going to get he's going to get playing time because they don't have a lot of depth at corner. I say even to go off of that, you know, how does he complement a guy like Trey White who's coming off of injury last year? Right. Well, the thing that the Bills have been lacking for the last few years is real athletes outside of Trey white. uh, The bills don't have any high round draft picks that they haven't taken basically off the veteran scrap heap to play defensive back on the team. Mm -hmm. So Trey being a first round pick, he has that athletic pedigree that Kyrie Elam also does. So that's where the compliments going to come in because up to this point, uh, the past four years, Levi Wallace had been their starter and he was an undrafted free agent. Dane Jackson is a seventh rounder. Like that's what they do. And then they, then they sign guys that are over the hill and at the end of their career, that that's just how they do their, their CB two. This is the first time since, since the, as we call them up in uh, New York, the McBean administration has been there (laughs) that um, you're actually getting an athlete to play at CB2. But the other side of it is they may be a little bit worried about Trey White's recovery from the knee injury. Uh, They say he's on track, but you know what? It may be a month or two into the season before he can get onto the field. And they looked at it and said, hey, you know what? We got to get somebody who can run with some of these receivers because, let's face it, the receivers in the AFC East are not getting any slower. That's very true. Um, Jamie, you know, one thing I noticed about the Bills offseason is they seem there seems to be a lot of turnover on defense for this season because with Von Miller, they added Daquan Jones, they added Tim mm-hmm. Not to mention now drafting Elam. Um, you know, they let Star Latulale go. Yeah. Um, so in your opinion, with those all those new bodies on defense, 
do you see maybe like kind of an adjustment period with having all those guys on? And what does that also mean for a guy like Ed Oliver, who to me, it seems like he struggled a bit. Okay. So Ed Oliver has, let's start there. He has sneakily been a really good player. Um, He's playing the three technique and he really didn't have, he really didn't have anybody backing him up. And two years ago, he was playing a lot of one technique, even though he's a three technique defensive tackle because Star Lutele Lele uh, opted out. And also um, uh, Harrison Phillips was injured. Mm -hmm. So he was playing out of position this past year. Most would agree that he was probably one of the top two or three best players on the defense, but you really have to like sit down and look at the film in order to find that because he's doing a lot that isn't necessarily resulting in stats. And unfortunately for him coming out of college, people made the Aaron Donald uh, comparisons. And I mean, come on. (laughs) I mean, there's only one. There's only yeah. I mean, being compared to the best ever is probably not going to help your cause. So everything less than that is a disappointment. He's been okay. So Von Miller was brought in because the Bills had a couple of defensive ends that were pretty old. They had Jerry Hughes and um, I'm picturing him, Mario Addison. Or thank you for knowing the Bills better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that, was no, that was in no way to show you up, by the way. Just, no, I'm, it, it's I'm one of the first you. names that comes to my head besides Jerry Hughes. Well, I'm glad you said it because I wasn't going to think of it. <laughs> uh, okay, here, here's the thing. All right. I, I got to be honest. I'm a couple minutes late because I stopped off for dinner and got a couple burgers and a couple beers. I'm playing hurt. I'm just not myself today, man. Send in uh, a medic. Wait, hold on. Wait, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Okay, you cannot blame it on burgers and beer for you, Mario Addison. That will not fly on this show. Am I right, Clem? Don't laugh. Just got to tell. Just cracking up. Oh, I mean, no, he's not wrong though. Wait, what kind of beer was blaming it on burgers and beer? Yeah, I would have been fine with traffic. I would have been fine with oh, I got mad in traffic today or something. Come on, burgers and beer, Jamie. That's a bit of a reach, <laughs> even for me. What kind of beer was it? Benefit of the dog, but on this on this day, unfortunately, I cannot. It's pretty hot, so it uh, it was a couple of hefeweizens. <laughs> hey, I had to go, I had to go easy on myself. I I did it way too hard on Saturday. Ah, uh, okay, <laughs> I got it. All right, you are forgiven. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I, I I know you weren't showing me up. I was actually asking for help, and you provided. So, what a, what a team we are. Yeah, that's why we. Yeah. We're, and so anyway, go ahead. Uh, Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison are no longer on the team. They were getting a little older, and the Bills were really lacking a pass rush the past couple of years. Uh, they've got they've got a couple of younger guys that haven't rounded into form. AJ Epinesa has been a, a second round pick and a healthy scratch repeatedly, which is uh, not what you want. Yeah. Uh, they had another second round guy, Boogie Basham, last year, regularly a healthy scratch from the lineup. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there was depth that was needed. They just, they were getting after the quarterback at a higher rate, taking the quarterback down at a low rate. So they wanted to make a splash there. Okay. Uh, when it comes to the one technique defensive tackle, you had Harrison Phillips leave uh, for the Minnesota Vikings. That was that was a tough loss for the Bills. 
Starlu Tulele was 34 years old. I never came under the impression after his first season or two that his heart was in it. And I think the front office agreed with that mm-hmm. and let him go, replaced him with Tim Settle and Dequan, as you mentioned. And I think they're going to roll the dice because also the Bills were a little susceptible to the run as well as not getting an awful lot of pass rush. So honestly, the front four needed some work. And I'm, I was glad to see them do that. Levi Wallace left for like $6 million a year. I don't think the Bills value their CB2 that high. Um, but then you have the linebackers in the rest of the secondary intact. I don't think I'm concerned with the turnover they've had. I think it's likely that it turns out to be to their benefit going into the season, which is good considering they had the number one overall defense last year. You know, with you know, Craig mentioned it because I totally forgot that Von Miller signed with the Bills. Um, <laughs> what is like Von Miller being on the Bills mean for a guy like Gregory Rousseau and AJ and Vanessa? Does it elevate their game and can he act like a mentor to both of them? I think that everything I've heard from Von Miller is he's really into playing that mentor's role. And these are young guys that you know, Rousseau has talent, but he doesn't have a lot of experience. So he doesn't have pass rush moves. He mm-hmm. uses his length to be successful, and he needs to sort of work some of the the maturation into that. Von Miller has basically gone out and said, hey, it's my job to impart whatever I can on these guys and, and see yeah. what I can do. Um, I'm looking forward to see if that makes a difference. Um, the Bills did lose their defensive line coach to the Giants. I don't think I was a fan of his. Right. You know, it just it seemed like the offense or the defensive line wasn't getting the job done despite having a lot of money tied up there. So we'll see. Uh, Jamie, now that the draft is over and, you know, the Bills, uh, I liked a lot of the moves they made. One of my one of my favorite picks they made was James Cook, the uh, running back from uh, yeah. Georgia. I thought that was actually a really solid, solid move for them. Um, now that the draft is over. Now that you've gotten a look at who they drafted and everything and what positions they looked at, which veterans do you see right now as possible bubble players as training camp approaches? Based on the players that that they selected. Um, maybe even before the draft, if there was a guy maybe off the top of your head that you were like 50-50 on being on the roster going into week one. It's only going to be depth players, right. um, likely you know bottom of the roster and special teamers. Mm-hmm. Um, Terrell Dotson might be one of them, uh, although I think he makes it. Uh, you have Markel Lee, a backup linebacker. Uh, I think he ends up making it too. Um, I don't think that they really selected anybody who is playing a position where I didn't already expect them to have an opening on the roster. You know, it's it's a very strange thing as a Bills fan because usually this time of year, it's post-draft and it's saying, well, I can't wait to see who the veteran cuts are because the Bills are going to need some starters still. Right. You, you guys have been there. You're Jets fans. Oh, I, yeah. I, I know we, we go through this. Yeah. Um, but the past couple of years, it's almost like at this point, you can draw up what the roster is going to look like with some pretty good accuracy because most of those starting slots have been set for a couple of years now. And and I should mention that the ones that did seem open have been filled. 
Um, like they needed a guard. Roger Saffold was signed. Mm-hmm. They, after Cole Beasley asked to leave the team, they signed Jamison Crowder. So, you know, he's going to be a starter too. Is that, is that what happened with Beasley that he just, he asked to be released? Yeah. He, he wanted oh, out. Okay. He asked for a trade oh, and when they couldn't find a trade, um, they, just, they released him. I thought he just got released more of like salary cap, uh, because he was due like a cap hit or something. I didn't know that he asked to be released. He was going to be too expensive, but he did want out. I, I think his whole experience with COVID and being like uh, you know, the 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 face of the charge of NFL players who was against um, against vaccinations and against masking. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think that worked against him, right. and it seemed like the Bills Mafia t- fan base turned on him a little bit. Um, yeah, the whole time that was going on, I was sitting there going, Cole, you're not the only unvaccinated guy on the team. Just be quiet. Like, stop setting yourself up for this. Yeah, he was fighting with, I remember he was fighting with fans all over Twitter. Like when he first, uh, when he made he had that first tweet about being unvaccinated and all that. And yeah. He was like, he must have responded to every fan who criticized him about the vaccination. Right. And it's like, dude, you got to be smarter than this. And And people would like text him these or you know dm him he's these things and he would quote it and be like yeah this person's telling me for pr reasons i shouldn't do this well i don't care about pr because i already have enough money i can retire tomorrow if i need to it's like now you just sound like an asshole (laughs) (laughs) oh jim we got our first comment from youtube mike laws von miller wakes up at night in terror thinking of george fan i mean i really hope so (laughs) <laughs> uh yes absolutely he does jamie, and no and no offense oh god it's even worse so jamie like just first round decide like just first round question for the draft i mean i don't know how much you saw but obviously you saw the results mm-hmm. what was the one pick that you were besides cole strange what was what was a pick that you were very surprised that a team made? If you could just pinpoint one, maybe off the top of your head, that you were kind of like, eh, it's a little questionable. Like, what what pick, if you had to think of one right now, would you say was like a little questionable? Oh, I am. Um, like you know, the, the board fell very similarly to how I sort of expected it to. I, I think one of the real surprises I had was Nicobe Dean falling as far as he did. I know that there are injury concerns there, but you have a lot of talent and you have a guy who's really made for the modern NFL when it comes to playing in space and Mm -hmm. dropping into coverage. I, I would have thought that we would have seen him go in the top half of the second round, even with the injury concerns. See, I was convinced that I thought the jets were going to take him in the second round at 38. I was, yeah, I just because I said it's like they really need a linebacker. It's like it just made sense. Mm-hmm. And then when they traded up two spots to with uh, the Giants of all teams, I said I said okay, this this has to be Nicobe Dean. I was like I can't picture it being anybody else right now. And then they drafted a running back. I was surprised, but in a good way. Sure, I just wasn't expecting it. But I kept yeah. saying, I was like, man, Nicobe Dean would be really good with this linebacking group with C.J. Mosley, Quincy Williams, and everything. But it was like, and then I just, after that pick, after the Jets pick at 38, I was just, I was very surprised at how much he dropped. Right. I was yeah. very- to, to me, that was the biggest surprise. Yeah. Um, that in the defensive end that, uh, that the Jets drafted. Oh, Jermaine Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, felt, 
I fell asleep two picks before that pick. Oh, I was so pissed. I was laying down in my bed watching watching the draft, and I got to like Dallas, and I fell asleep. And then I woke up the next morning, and I'm like, all right, let me see how the rest of the first round. And the first thing that came up on my Facebook was a big picture of Jermaine Johnson. It said, like, welcome Jermaine Johnson to the Jets. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. They got Jermaine Johnson? I was so mad at myself for falling asleep. Yeah, it, but you can't, you can't see that coming. It's not wow. like you knew that pick was going to happen and that the trade-up was going to occur. And let's face it, watching the draft can wear you out after a while. Because it, it's just commercial breaks, and it's just like yes. a lot of talking. And every time Rappaport would come on, I muted it because he always gives away the picks sometimes, and it drives me yeah. crazy. And like, well, I was, I, was uh, I, I started watching the the ABC feed, mm-hmm. and I had to turn it off because I'm like, okay, obviously they are handing these parents, they're interviewing every parent, <laughs> and they're handing them a script. It's yeah. like, you know, so. Uh, does this make you proud? Oh, so proud. What does this mean to you? Everything. He worked so hard. This is his dream come true. And it is for us too. And then it's like the next guy, like, uh, you know, what, you know, what, what does this mean to you? This means everything. We're so proud. He worked so hard. And it's like, okay, I've seen nine or 10 of these um, going elsewhere. See, if I had a, if I had a kid and I was being interviewed, if I had a son that was drafted in the NFL draft and they interviewed me and they're like, Oh, what's going through your mind? I'll go like, Cha-ching. <laughs> like, that little bastard soaked me for all those shoes yeah. all those years. He's he paying my ass two, back. He owes me two million dollars for all the time I put into him and everything. That's exactly what I would promise. <laughs> I would not hold back. Let, light up in Craig's eyes. <laughs> let's be honest though. That's what these parents are thinking. Of course they are. I mean, I mean, I'm sure, yeah, that, that's what else could you possibly be thinking? I mean, you would the only thing is maybe you'd want your son to go to the team, your favorite team. Maybe. But at the same time, it's like all you care about is they're getting paid. And- right. Right. And all of these girls, you know, the significant others, the girlfriends that are there that are, are seeing dollar signs that aren't going to be in the picture in about three months. I feel bad for them. <laughs> yeah. You know, just so, you know, you hope that it's not the numerous paternity suits that just pop up when these guys make millions of dollars and everything. Oh, but- God. <laughs> how, how many uh how many paternity suits do you have against you clem <laughs> oh, let me guess you didn't see that one coming i did not no that was uh, that was out of left field right <laughs> you know, jamie just so you'd like to know clem's answer to that question is sponsored to you by tab yeah. <laughs> Tab cola for beautiful people, as they yeah. said. Um, so yeah, it's not every podcast you can go on and joke around with the hosts like that. So thank you guys for being you guys. Oh, anytime, man. Anytime we can have you on to joke about this, and anytime I can have you take a shot at Clem for drinking Tab, it just makes my day complete. Yo, I'm not taking shots at our boy for drinking tab. Oh, by the way, have you gotten onto eBay and gotten any of the, uh, you know, since they discontinued it? Yo, shit's expensive. It's expensive. (laughs) I'm like, I checked it out last time. Yeah, I was like, I'm not not buying, I'm not spending absurd amounts of money on on tab cola. I'm like, I think I'll survive without it. But it was just like, he was, he, was working double, he was working double shifts for a while to try to pay for it. it, was, <laughs> it was very Nobody knew, you know, like 
I mean, he won't admit that, but I will be glad to, to tell him. <laughs> My God, how how many pod how many podcasts can you possibly produce in a day? <laughs> Not enough. <laughs> enough, enough, enough to get sponsored by Tab Cola, hopefully, and bring it back. None of us are in this for the money, are we? No, no we're in it for the Tab Cola. <laughs> it's the little things that make that get Clem going. It's just, it's just the tape. That's all he's in it for. Right. So, um, what else is on your mind, my friend? All right, Jamie. Let's. Um, I want to get into like talk about the Stefan Diggs extension because it was kind of like um, the way the oh. Christian Kirk signing was kind of a catalyst. So all these number one receivers either wanted to get paid because Christian Kirk was making more money per year than what the franchise tag was for wide receivers. Yeah. To eventually getting to all these uh, traded. The Bills re-signed Diggs. They gave him a four-year deal. I think it was over, I think it was like $104 million, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. $70 million guaranteed, which was kind of online with what Tyreek Hill got with the Dolphins. I'm not sure if Devontae Adams got the same with the Raiders. I'm not, I don't remember his, uh, what his, was. a little more than Diggs, a little less than Hill. All right. So my question is, is, um, did the Bills get any pressure from Diggs's camp when this Christian Kirk contract went down? And then all of a sudden, Adams started requesting a trade and then the Tyreek Hill mess went down. Or was this always kind of a top priority from them from the very beginning to get Diggs signed to a lucrative extension? Well, Stefan Diggs was making about $12 million per season. And mm-hmm. over the past couple of years, he's established himself as one of the best receivers in the NFL. Maybe not top five necessarily. He was two years ago, but definitely top 10. Mm-hmm. He was not being paid like a franchise cornerstone. And, and that he is in Buffalo. They absolutely love him there. So they knew that with only a couple of years left in his contract, that He was going to need to get extended. But the other side of it is the Bills were in salary cap hell before, well, at the beginning of this offseason, I should say. And they needed to figure out ways of clearing space. And one of the ways in which they did that was by taking that $17 million cap hit that he had, even though he was only making $12 million, and getting that reduced in line with uh, about what he was going to make bonus-wise. So his salary cap hit was reduced by about $4 million. Plus he's being paid in line with the market. And I think the other side of it is they were smart enough to see the economics of the situation and say, waiting is not going to make this any cheaper. Right. We, uh, we see where this is going and we know we, we know we need to keep him happy. We know we need to keep Josh Allen happy. The only thing that's going to make Josh Allen happy is knowing that Stefan Diggs is going to be there. <laughs> Right. Um, so really this was always going to happen because the bills needed the salary cap space. You know, going back to the draft class and Craig mentioning that, you know, James cook, who I also think was an excellent draft pick by you guys, you know, does he, does he give a little bit of pressure to a guy like Devin Singletary who really hasn't been able to get the ball running? There we go. Running back, get the ball running with, with the bills these past few years. So, Devin Singletary was pretty good three years ago when he was a rookie. Right. And then he really dropped off the table. Well, something that coincided with that was the Bills changing their blocking scheme from zone to a more of a pin and pull system. And that's not what he does. That's not what, what he does well. The Bills offensive line struggled. He struggled. And 
at the end of last season, due to injuries, they they didn't have the right personnel, they felt. So they needed to switch to the outside zone scheme because they had guys that were smaller but more athletic with foot speed. Well, in the last four to six games, Devin Singletary really came alive. So much so that there were other running backs on the roster, especially Zach Moss, who was selected in the third round of the year after Devin Singletary. He didn't even get on the field at the end of the season. So Devin Singletary can be like a 1B running back. He is not a strongly defined 1A guy. Um, so he needs to split reps because what he has is great vision. He has great lateral agility. He doesn't have size or speed. And you need at least one of those two elements in addition to what he already has to be a really good running back in the NFL. Um, I think he's he's a low-end starter for sure. But what James Cook offers them is something that they don't have which is suddenness and speed. They have Isaiah McKenzie, but he's mostly a number four receiver. Now they're looking at a guy who they can line up both in the backfield and they can split out wide, who is a speed threat to the defense. And that is something that the Bills sorely lacked this past year. Yeah, they have no problem getting guys deep. You saw in the playoffs, Gabriel Davis running behind the defense all day long, but he doesn't do that with his speed. And speed, let's, let's face it, Speed kills. I mean, going back to that playoff game, it was Tyreek Hill running free through the Bills secondary that ended up costing the Bills the game. Um, so Singletary is going to, because veterans always start, he's the best veteran on the roster. Zach Moss is the one who they selected thinking that he was going to push Devin Singletary for the starting spot. He may be in danger of losing his spot on the roster, though I find that unlikely. Um, speaking of Tyree Kill now with the Miami Dolphins, um, how much of a threat do you view the Dolphins to challenge the Bills for the AFC East? I know it's Tyree Kill, but the thing is, at the end of the day, they still have Tua. And that's right. I still, have, I still have an issue there, like whereas other people may not, but I have an issue with Tua as the quarterback there regardless. But just want to get your thoughts on, do you think the Dolphins could pose a legitimate threat for the division? From Buffalo? Teams only go as far as their quarterbacks take them. And I don't see Tua taking them to a point that is a real threat for the division right now. I, I think Mac Jones is ahead of Tua at this point. Okay. Um, I, I personally, I, you know, I know that um, it's it's really in, in vogue for Bills fans to dunk on Patriots fans, especially regarding McCorkle Jones, but... I don't think he's a bad player. I just think he has a noodle arm, but he can make it work far better than Tua seems to be able to. You know but what? Oh, I, I will say, say, if Tua fails, it's not because they didn't surround him. No, that's very sure. <laughs> yeah, that's all. Anyways, sorry to cut you off, Clem. No, it's fine. Cut me off anytime you want. So, you know, like we mentioned earlier, you know, you Bills lost Cole Beasley, but you added Jamison Crowder. Do you think he's a better addition than Cole Beasley, what Cole Beasley was. And what do you think he can bring to the table getting after even being another year older though? It's hard to say because Jameson Crowder is now the age that Cole Beasley was when the Bills signed him in the first place. And the popular sentiment was that it looked like Cole Beasley lost a step this past season, but nobody really accounted for the fact that Beasley was playing with broken ribs and that's going to slow you down a bit. 
although Cole Beasley is still unsigned. So that's a little interesting to me at this point. But, uh, you know, Jamison Crowder, you guys have seen him up close and personal. He's a solid slot receiver. He's he's not the fastest guy. He's not the biggest guy. But he plays a lot faster than, like, his 40 time is. Um, mm. And I think what what they really need from that position is somebody like Cole Beasley who's really savvy in playing against the zone. But unlike Cole Beasley, somebody who can also get away from man-to-man coverage, and Beasley really struggled with that this past season. So is it going to be a step up? I think I view it more as a lateral move. Um, Beasley still had like 85 receptions this past year, and I think you're probably going to see Crowder get in that neighborhood also. I, I would imagine you'll see him get at least 70 receptions this year because it feels like chucking the ball. Um, Jamie, this is my last question. So, you know, the Bills have come so close to getting to the Super Bowl yet, you know, they haven't been able to do it over the last couple of seasons. Went to the AFC Championship game two years ago. And then last year they got eliminated, I think, in the second round by the by the Chiefs. Um, I know it's basically at this point for the Bills a Super Bowl or bust mentality. If they don't make it to the Super Bowl this year, does do you think the seat starts getting a little hot under Sean McDermott? No, I, I no, I, I think he is on the verge of having a job for life. Okay. Uh, he's he's on his way to being. He's done, a, he's done an amazing job with that team. Right? I mean, there's no question how good of a job he's done. I just, I always always get this thing where it's like if you're you know you keep getting you, you're so close to getting there you, you still can't get there. Does something eventually give? You know, fans will start calling for it because you know fans are notoriously impatient. But Sean McDermott has really been the architect behind what's happened. He brought in Brandon Bean and helped assemble that, assemble that front office staff. Um, he's been the one with the last call on all the personnel moves. So, you know, this is somebody who it appears to me that the owners, uh, Kim and Terry Pagula, really enjoy working with. He works really well with Brandon Bean, who's considered to be a really good general manager. I can't see his seat getting hot. I just, I see fans getting impatient. There are stories out there about how some of his assistant coaches have not enjoyed working with him, that he's got, you know, he's he's a bit of a micromanager. He's like a Buck Showalter type if, for all you baseball fans out there, where his micromanagement eventually grades on people. Uh, but that's also what makes both of them successful is that they have the eye for the detail. Um, some of his in-game decision-making was definitely questioned. That 13 seconds against the Chiefs where they lost, when where they were playing to prevent defense and guarding against the sideline while the Chiefs had a full complement of timeouts was ludicrous. It was just stupid. Kicking the ball through the end zone when they should have squibbed it to take time off the clock, absolutely stupid. Right. But coaches sometimes have to learn these things too. So <laughs> let's let's hope he learned from that. I have two more questions. This is going to be the first one. You know, there's a lot of hype around this guy you guys drafted, Khalil uh, Sakir. Yep. I just want to get your thoughts on him and, like, what do you think he could bring to the table? If he, I mean, I know he's going to be sitting behind Stefan Diggs, Jameson Crowder, the emergence of Gabriel Davis. So what do you think he could bring to the table as a rookie of this coming season? Wait, did uh, did you just say the Bills drafted Shakira? Oh, uh, yeah, he could be Shakira. I'll go with that name. <laughs> 
Shakir. 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 I, Shakir. I don't know how to pronounce that. Khalil Shakir. I would definitely show up to more games if they did draft her. You know, he was a guy that was graded as being a second day pick. And um, they ended up getting him at the top of the fifth round, which seemed much lower than people thought. And I went back and checked it out. Now, Jameson Crowder is on a one-year deal. And the Bills did need somebody that they that they could groom into their uh, their future slot receiver, and it looks like this guy is a very heady player that has pretty good hands and runs good routes. Um, he by no means was one of the best receivers in the draft, but they were saying he's the type of guy who you can get some serious value for if you can get him, you know, after the second round, which the Bills did. Uh, is he going to make a difference? I think that. There will be snaps to be had if you're him. Injuries happen. He's probably going to be the first or second person off the bench because the Bills start with three wideouts. Um, he's going to be the first or second person off the bench, and the other person coming off the bench is Isaiah McKenzie, who's more of a gadget player that excels more against man-to-man coverage. And Shakir appears to be a guy that can also do some damage against the zone. But, you know, at least the first half of the season, you're going to see him sitting and watching an awful lot like the Bills do with rookies. Now, my last question, you know, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde both had arguably the best years of their career last year. And it it showed because, like you mentioned, Bills defense was number one in the league last year. Mm -hmm. You know, with them being another year older in their low, low 30, I think they're both 31, 32 years old. Do you think they can do have another repeat performance like last year? Yes. And so Jordan Poyer was uh, an all pro this past season and Micah Hyde was a second team all pro. They're probably one of the top safety tech. Excuse me. That was the burger coming back. Um, (laughs) uh, They're probably one of the top safety tandems in the league. And Mm -hmm. the thing, especially about Micah Hyde is his game isn't predicated on speed. So Mm -hmm. what you run into with a lot of players as they get into their thirties is they lose a step. But Mike Hyde has always been about savvy positioning, um, playing the ball really well, taking great angles on routes. Um, so I, I think that is going to be – it's not going to be a problem. Now, Jordan Poyer, this is interesting. You may not know about this, but once everybody started getting paid, Jordan Poyer signed Drew Rosenhaus as his agent and immediately went public with wanting an extension. He's in the last year of his contract. So if you oh. sign Drew Rosenhaus, that tells me you're looking to make some bucks. Yeah. And the Bills to this point, not only have they not extended him, but they basically have said in interviews, that being Brandon Bean, like, hey, um, you know, this he's getting up there in age. There's a lot of guys that are looking for extensions right now. We just don't have it in the budget right at this point. Uh, and that was right after that was actually the same day they signed Stefan Diggs is when he went public with wanting his extension. So uh, I would imagine that he's going to be a bit malcontent this year because he's not feeling the love, as they say. So they're going to try to motivate him by saying, you've got the opportunity for one more payday, play like an all pro again. You might have to get it elsewhere, but earn your money. And that that may be his motivation right now. It's good motivation. It's always good motivation. I would say so. 
I mean, those guys aren't cheap. They've both been extended by the Bills at least once, and I think they're yeah. both making around twelve million dollars. But the safety, um, the safety salaries are like well into the you know twenty millions now. Yeah. yeah after so Marcus, after Marcus Williams signed, and then um, well, Jamal Adams is still the highest paid safety in the league right now. Right, seventeen, and it's just going to be another and another year. The next guy will want seventeen million dollar contract. I don't know what that is. Yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, I mean, yeah, but it's going to it's going to be super important because the Bills, the back end of the Bills defense, is predicated on safety play much more so than it is on quarterback play. So they need to have top notch players back there. But also. Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer were taken off the scrap heap from other teams. Yeah. Jordan Poyer wasn't even a starter with the Browns. And now, because the Bills have excellent secondary coaching, he's an all-pro. Yeah. So they were able to uncover him. They probably feel like they could do it again, uncover another one. Wait, is that a tab or is that a Coke, Clem? Dr. Pepper. Oh, Dr. Pepper. Oh, Dr. that's Pepper. nasty. What kind of heathen are you? You don't like Dr. Pepper? Oh, Jesus, No. Oh, I love a Dr. Pepper. It's like mixing Coke and, and uh, root beer together. Oh, I love root beer. Love oh, I can't say root beer. Root beer is gross. Oh, we've talked about root beer. You like Barks, right? Love Barks. I will go to my grave. Yeah. Barks is the best soda in the world. I will go to my grave with that. Well, you can make root for it now. They don't make tab anymore. True. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, can you believe how dark it's gotten in this room while we've been sitting here? I was here? just thinking the same thing. I was like, it was light out when we started. Oh, yeah. my God. I didn't turn the lights on in here. What am I doing? You can't see my beautiful face. <laughs> oh, to, the, to those of you who are listening, we are actually chatting via video right now. So when this becomes a podcast and people are listening to it on Spotify, they're going to be like, what are you talking about? Your beautiful face, my ass. <laughs> Uh, Jamie, this was awesome as always. Um, you know, I always, I was saying to clip before that if I ever had a chance for someone to do an auto audio of my life story, you'd be my first choice for the voiceover. <laughs> that is beyond flattering. You guys, you've got the voice to make it interesting. You guys make me feel good. And I, I have to be honest, I, I need, I, I think I need to do voiceovers and I think you need to be my agent. I think we got to get this off the ground. <laughs> You can make it happen. I'm telling you, you got you've got the voice, man. I, I so appreciate that. Hey, I love coming on your show. Hey, so anytime you, you want me here, you I'm are here. a Buffalo Bills guy. So we we love having you on, and uh, you're always one of our first calls when we're looking for a guest, especially after the NFL draft, especially going into training camp over the summer to talk, you know, Bills football. You are definitely our guy, and you know we couldn't be more grateful for you to come on our show whenever you hey. make, whenever you get the opportunity. Any freaking time. And also this year, I think this is the year, Clem. I think you're coming to watch a game in Buffalo with me. Look, I'm, I'll am i go to a game in Buffalo. Not me. Like, I, you're, look, I, oh, I already you, tell Craig. people, like, if I wasn't such, I, if I wasn't such a diehard Jets fan, if I wasn't such a diehard Jets fan, I would probably be a Buffalo Bills fan. That's cool. Well, you know, it was always Clem in the past who said that he wanted to go to a game. You well, never I, you never mentioned being interested, Craig. Oh, no. I would definitely love to go to that stadium. My brother-in-law is a huge Buffalo Bills fan. He grew up in Buffalo. Oh, well, yeah. you're invited too then, buddy. I've always wanted to go to a game there just to like see – just if I could see the guy going right through the table in the uh, tailgate. That That's going to be the me. guy? You mean the Guys. many people? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I can keep up with all the people, but – but no, that I, would definitely be one of my 
I just saw a video of this couple getting married and like here, you know, the guy's in a tuxedo and this woman is in this like beautiful strapless dress. She, it looks like silk. It's very chic. And I mean, she's like a smoke show. Right. And they start playing the Bill's shout song. And she like, like kind of like bounces in the room and then boom, puts herself right through a table. Really? <laughs> I'm like, Whoa. No, my, I showed my, my wife favorite. and I'm like, why can't you do that? Yeah, that's a <laughs> No, see, my favorite one is like the guy and his wife, they just gave birth. I think it was like to their daughter. And you see the guy play it just placed they placed the newborn right through like a, a breakaway table. And I was like, that's amazing. I love that so much. I know exactly what you're talking about. It is funny. Uh, but anyway, you guys keep fighting the good fight, keep doing great work. I'm gonna keep listening. All right, Jamie. Thanks again, as always. Thank and we're we'll definitely Jamie. looking forward to having you on again in the future. All right. Thanks, guys. See you. Right, oh, by the way, it's Believe Podcast and Jamie D and Big Newt. Can't forget right. the Big Newt part. No, not I, how could I forget? All right, Jamie, <laughs> take care of yourself. I right? hope hope to have you on again soon. I uh, was the one and only Jamie D'Amico. You could check out the Believe Podcast with Jamie and Big Newt. You could check out the Buffalo Rumblings SB Nation blog as well, as he's a contributor to that. And Jamie's always a lot of fun to have. And sometimes I just want him on because I got to hear the voice. Yeah, guy, it's been a while. It's, it's been a really like, long time. You know, he's he's tailor-made to host like a love line or something like that. But um, like, like when you think of like awesome voices, it's like Morgan Freeman, Samuel Jackson, Barry White, Jamie D'Amico. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the funny story about how I met Jamie was I had reached out to Buffalo Rumblings to another guy about coming on the show. I can't remember the guy's name, but he, you know, he's very nice, very cool guy. And he said, you know, he, he didn't think he could make it, but he put me in touch with Jamie. And then mm -hmm. Jamie and I started talking and then we started setting up a time for him to come on the show and everything. And ever since then, he's been one of our all time favorite guests and he is our number one go-to guy for everything Buffalo Bills football. So we really appreciate Jamie. He's another one of our favorites. Always taking the time to come hang out with us to talk some football here on the Mouth on the Mic show. Again, check out the Bill Leaf podcast. Jamie is the man when it comes to talking Buffalo Bills football. So, um, all right. So let's do the Jets and Giants drafts real quickly, and then we'll do um, we'll kind of just do our recap of the NFL draft in general. Um, I have to admit, I was I was pleasantly shocked by the Jets draft picks because I didn't expect them to draft Sauce Gardner fourth overall because it just didn't seem like the Joe Douglas style. Right. And when Icky Iguana was there at four after the, uh, the Texans had surprisingly took Derek Stingley, which I thought was a terrible pick, but that's whatever. Um, you know, apparently he was shooting up draft boards and apparently he was you know, all of a sudden the number one corner in the draft. When for weeks and weeks it was sauce. So, but I I was convinced the Jets were drafting Icky Iguana. I didn't think they were going to draft Kayvon Thibodeau there, and I thought it was. I really believed it was going to be. I did not think it was going to be Sauce Gardner. Um, but the Jets shocked shocked me. I'm sure they shocked plenty of other fans as well in a good way by drafting Sauce Gardner. Um, listen, what more can you say about him? You didn't give up a touchdown at all in Cincinnati. I don't expect that to be the case when he joins the Jets. But I expect – but the secondary just got leaps and bounds better mm -hmm. by drafting Sauce Gardner. Now, that's not a knock on Bryce Hall or Brandon Eccles, by the way, because I thought they played well last year. 
under the circumstances. But truth be told, Bryce Hall was not that ball-hawking corner that you need. He did not get a turnover last year. He did not. Eccles had two turnovers, so I think there's room to grow there. Mm -hmm. And it was funny because when they drafted Sauce Gardner, because now you have a cornerback room of Sauce Gardner, DJ Reed, Brandon Eccles, Bryce Hall, Michael Carter II will be your slot corner. Javelin Gidry will probably be a slot corner. Your room is loaded right now. Jason Pennock, who was drafted originally as a corner, is probably going to move to safety. Where he, I thought he actually performed fairly well last year. He could actually start if he beats out. Um, I don't know if he'll start because it'll probably wind up being Lamarcus Joyner and Jordan Whitehead starting this year for the Jets. But you know, depending on where the depth, good rotation guy. You know, he could try. You know, he might try to. He could give Ashton Davis a challenge. He could give other guys a challenge. But I was pleasantly surprised, and I thought it was when I thought about it long and hard. While I really wanted Kayvon Thibodeau. I also thought this was the right move, especially with the moves that were made in your division. Mm -hmm. You know, the the Dolphins not only having Tyree Kill, but also having Jalen Waddle. You have the Buffalo Bills, where we just talked to Jamie about that. It's Stephon Diggs. They have Gabriel Davis, who came on really strong in his second season, and Jameson Crowder. And you have the Patriots, who added Devontae Parker this offseason via trade to go with Nelson Aguilar, um, Jacoby Myers, you know, just to name a few guys, not to mention Hunter Hurst, Hunter, um, Hunter Henry and uh, John Smith. So it was the right move at number four. So then when we got to number 10, I was like, shit, they're going to take Jermaine Johnson here. It's like, I'm so convinced they're going to take Jermaine Johnson. Second shocker of the top 10 was the Falcons taking Drake London. Mm-hmm. Which I was convinced they were going to take Garrett Wilson. So when it got to 10, I was like, man, it's like this is going to suck because I really wanted Garrett Wilson. It wasn't a knock on Jermaine Johnson. It really wasn't. I just wanted Garrett Wilson because I wanted that receiver to go with Zach. And I didn't want the Jets to lose focus on getting offensive players for Zach. Mm-hmm. And what happens? They draft Garrett Wilson. I was so fucking happy when they drafted Garrett Wilson. I was I was convinced. So, when, I saw Drake, when I saw Drake London go off the board, I was like, oh, shit, Jets are going to get Garrett Wilson. You know, like, I had no doubts in my mind it was going to be Garrett Wilson. I was I was beyond happy that we got him. And I would have I would have liked Drake London, too. Don't get me wrong. I would have loved Drake London there, too. But in the back of my mind, I was like, man, they didn't get the pass rusher. The fans are pushing for a pass rusher, so it makes sense they're going to take Jermaine Johnson. And they draft Garrett Wilson. And I'm like, all right, this is good. I hate the fact that we don't have a pass rusher, but that's okay. You know, I can, you know, they, maybe they'll get one in the second round. You know, there's right. still a lot of good ones available. There was Arnold B. Bichetti from Penn State. There was Boy Mafe from uh, Minnesota. You know, they might have been able to trade back up into the first round and maybe get George Karloftis. So there was a lot of different avenues they could go. So now you have a receiving core going into this fall of Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, Braxton Berrios, and I'm going to throw him in there right now, Denzel Mims. Because now you are set, not to mention you have C.J. Uzama and Ty Conklin. And Jeremy Rucker. And Jeremy Rucker, Long Island boy. Okay, I was, I was surprised at that pick. I was, I was surprised. surprised too. I did not expect it to be Jeremy Rucker. I was expecting I, it to be – when they didn't get Ike Iquano, I said, okay, third pick. 
101st pick, I said, I think they're going to probably go with a tackle, like a, like a swing tackle, kind of similar. Right. To, you know, and they went with Rucker, and I was like, oh, shit, that's fucking awesome. I love that they drafted Jeremy Rucker. Like, I, I would say prior to the Jets signing Conklin and Uzama, I wanted them to, I wanted them to draft either Trey McBride or, or Jeremy Rucker to be the, the starting tight end. But then when we got Uzama, then when we got Conklin, I was like, all right, maybe maybe we're there, we don't draft Ruckert anymore. I mean, shit, give me more weapons. I don't care. But I was like, maybe not, probably not get Ruckert or McBride anymore. The knock on Ruckert right now is he's just got to work more on his blocking. But he's a very good blocker, but he still has to work on it some more. Give Ruckert like a year or two, and I think he'll eventually slide into that starting tight end role. Because Uzama and Conklin are not here for very long. So they're only here for like a year or two tops. So Uzama maybe two years, but Conklin I think is only here for one. So Ruckert could probably slide right in there next year if, if they decide not to bring Conklin back. And it's just it's just even better too because one he's a Long Island guy, we're Long Island guys, so it's like yes, our favorite team drafted someone from Long Island. This is great. Now, then I'm like, okay, you know, if the Jets are going to trade, I mean, you watch it. The thing was, I was really surprised at how low Jermaine Johnson was falling. I couldn't figure out why because there was really no knocks on the guy coming out of the, the combines and the pro days and a lot of the scouting analysis that was on ESPN or NFL, NFL network or whatever it was, or any podcast you want to listen to. Right. So, why is this guy falling so much? It doesn't make any sense. Especially like when the commanders took Jahan Dotson, you know, with uh, the 16th pick, the saints didn't take him. I was really surprised. And then all of a sudden, that's when I fell asleep. And then I woke up the next morning, and I see that Jermaine Johnson's a fucking jet. And I'm like, holy shit. I go, so right. on the end of the day, they got Sauce Gardner. They got Garrett Wilson. You got the best cornerback in the draft. You got the top wide receiver in the draft. And you didn't get the best, you know, to many considered the best pass rusher, but at least second or third best pass rusher in the draft. You could not have asked for a better first round from Joe Douglas. No, what you I couldn't have about it was he was aggressive. He didn't just sit back with the second round picks and just say, okay, I'm going to sit at 35 and 38 and be good there. I'm just going to go with what I got. Okay. And he could, and he, nobody would have really faulted him at the end of the day, if you think about it, because there were still a lot of good players at 35 and 38 he could have drafted. He could have drafted Travis Jones, he could have drafted Arnold E. Bichetti. He could have drafted Boy Mafe. He could have drafted a lot of guys. He could have drafted Jalen Petrie from Baylor to play safety. There was a lot of options. But what does he do? He trades 35, swaps third-round picks to get Jermaine Johnson. And you couldn't have asked for a better trade. And oh, then, yeah, that was a fantastic trade. And then he comes back in day two because he got a sense that the Texans were going to take Brees Hall. And he elects to trade up and leapfrog the Texans. And of all the teams he trades with, he trades with the Giants to get Brees Hall. That's what I love about Joe Douglas. And you see the plan. It's not just random players being drafted for no legitimately good reason. It's we're going to do everything we can to make sure that our second-year quarterback succeeds. And that's exactly – and they never took the pedal off drafting offense. No, they didn't, no. And the crazy part is, Clem, drafting Garrett Wilson 10th overall was probably one of the best things that Joe Douglas did because you know what happened after that was all the wide receivers started going off the board. Yep. 
Saints traded up to get Olave. The Lions traded up to get Jamison Williams. The Commanders took Jahan Dotson. I said, yeah, uh-huh. not not only were teams trading up to get wide receivers, p- teams were trading wide receivers to get picks. Yeah. The Eagles get A.J. Brown. I mean, there was such a run on receivers that by the time he would have picked, if he wanted to trade back into the first round, he would have probably had to be stuck drafting a guy like Christian Watson, maybe if he wanted to get a wide receiver. Or he would have considered maybe moving up into the draft, the first round to get Brees Hall. But what's done is done. The Jets still wind up with Brees Hall, who will probably most likely be the starting running back with Michael Carter getting a little bit less of the touches. But, again, it's not a bad thing. To have a rotation of Michael Carter and Brees Hall is fantastic. Look, the Jets walked away away with arguably the number two ranked pass rusher in this draft, the best cornerback in this draft. The best wide receiver in this draft, the best wide rec- the best running back in this draft, and the second best tight end in this draft. Like the Jets, he literally hit it out of the park with every one of their picks. And I, I love like the Brees Hall pick was a little bit of a surprise to me a little bit because I'm like, you know what? We have Michael Carter, who we who we expected, you know, not thinking we would draft Brees Hall. We had we figured Michael Carter would be the, the primary running back with Tevin Coleman being the secondary guy, the third down guy. But now that you have Brees Hall, you that throws in so many more options for the Jets that it's going to keep Michael Carter fresh, it's going to keep Brees Hall fresh, and it's going to keep Tevin Coleman fresh too. Like this, that was so, I, like in mind. I was thinking, why Brees Hall? We didn't realize. And then I was thinking more long term deals and long term stuff like that. And the way they run the ball, this team doesn't have playmakers. Now we have playmakers. That's mm-hmm. what we've always needed. And then when you take into account. And I was listening to the Connor Hughes podcast today. Connor Hughes is really good. Like, he's really awesome with how he kind of talks about the Jets and everything. And, you know, he said, I was covering this team in 2019. And basically it was, there was, there is nobody from the 2019 roster on this team right now. Right. Le'Veon Bell and Bilal Powell were the, were the running backs. You know, the wide receivers, I can't remember. He he named them off the top, and I can't remember who they were. But needless to say, they weren't very good. It was like Robbie Anderson. Um, it was a couple of other guys. I can't remember who it was. Okay. The offensive line, they had to – that was the year that they got Ryan Khalil out of retirement. Oh, it was Demarius Thomas and uh, Robbie Anderson. Those were the two. Oh. Those were the starting receivers. Ryan Khalil was the starting center for the team and you look at it now and like, he's like, this offense has potential to be incredible this year with a running back duo of Brees Hall and Michael Carter an offensive line as of right now, that is sneaky. Good. Mm -hmm. It doesn't get talked about too much with George Fant, Elijah Vera Tucker, Connor McGovern, Lakin Tomlinson, and Makai back there. CJ Uzama and Ty Conklin as your tight ends. You have a receiving group that could match some of the best teams in the league right now. With Corey Davis, we've already seen what Elijah Moore can do. We have already seen what Elijah Moore can do, and that was in a limited capacity. And now you're adding Garrett Wilson to the mix? 
not to mention bringing back Braxton Berrios. Mm-hmm. This team has potential to be fucking lethal on offense this year. But now it all depends on Zach. Now it all depends. There's no excuses for Zach Wilson. now. You cannot make excuses for Zach Wilson unless they all get hurt in training camp, which God forbid, of course. But you can't make it. Zach Wilson has no excuses now. He has no choice but to succeed. Mm -hmm. Joe Douglas has given him a line to protect him and plenty of weapons to, to have fun with. There's no reason why Zach Wilson can't be successful. And by the way, now you have a defense that actually has a pass rush. Quinn and Williams, John Franklin Myers is going to move to the inside where he's a better player. Vinnie Curry back after a year. Sheldon Rankins, Carl Lawson, Solomon Thomas. Johnson, Solomon Thomas, Bryce Huff. This team has tons of rotational pieces. Linebacker might be the one area that's not as strong as it is probably the weakest part of the team. But until you see what you have with Hamza Nasruddin and Jameen Sherwood in that spot, you know, we, we can't keep overloading. But I think Quincy Williams could be a very good player. So do I. I think Quincy Williams can be good. And, again, we have to see – like, I like Nasruddin and uh, Sherwood. Did we see a lot of them last year? Not really. But, look, I mean, maybe maybe they see something in them that we don't as fans and as the coaches – Mm-hmm. But I mean, I kind of do wish they did address the dra- uh, the linebacking situation during the draft. But I mean, look, we still have a whole off season to go. You know, people are going to get cut during pre during the preseason. So maybe the Jets will pick up some uh, uh, pick up on someone who who gets cut. Well, the Jets have a way of finding some decent players on waivers. He found Braxton Berrios. He found Quincy Williams. I mean, that that helps there. Found John Franklin Myers off waivers. I don't have a problem with Joe Douglas looking on the waiver wire for certain players because you never know who shakes free. But right now, this is a team you can be excited about. This is a team you can that's going to be a lot of it could be a lot of fun to watch this year. I love the moves they made. I love the Jeremy Rucker pick in the third round. I like the swing tackle Max Mitchell in the fourth, and then Michael Clemens, another pass rusher who I completely forgot about. That means you're not going to see guys anymore like Jabari Zaniga. He'll probably be cut. You know, a lot of the dead weight's going to be gone for younger, more hungry players. Mike LaFleur could have a lot of fun with this offense if he really plays it right. That's how lethal no. this offense can be this year, especially in the running game too. You're, you're absolutely right. There is, there's so many weapons on this offense that it's, it's go, almost near impossible for Zach Wilson to fail. Like, there's so many weapons. You have a stacked tight end room. You have a stacked running back room. The wide receivers got immensely better. Like, there's, like, almost zero to no excuses that Zach Wilson is going to have a bad year. Like, they set Zach Wilson up perfectly in my mind. He's got no excuses anymore. That's it. Now, to the Giants. I love the Giants' first-round picks of Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal. I hope that... You know, I don't. I really hope because if Kayvon Thibodeau is really good, you know, guys like Samini, who was already kind of stirring the pot, but after the Giants took Thibodeau, he's going to start his shit about how they should have taken Thibodeau over Sauce and everything. 
Um, I would say the one thing that I was disappointed with with the Giants in this draft, they didn't really draft any weapons for Daniel Jones. No, they didn't. I was not impressed with who they brought. You know, they drafted Wandale Robinson, I think, in the third round from Kentucky. Uh, good receiver. You know, I don't know if how much of an impact he's going to make his rookie season. But this is a team that struggled with a lot of injuries mm-hmm. to Saquon Barkley, Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Toney, Sterling Shepard, who's, who's still out. I don't know if he's going to be back this year. If he's even going to be playing in a game this year, because he had, uh, I think he tore his, he ruptured his Achilles, or tore his ACL. I'm not really sure. But Kenny Galladay has not proven to be healthy for a full season. Saquon has not proven to be healthy for a full season. Kadarius Tony missed a lot of time last year in his rookie season with injuries. And on top of that, you have a. I think they should have gotten a better pass catching tight end. Ricky Seals Jones is not a bad player, but he's not really. He's not elite, but he's not bad. You know, he made some plays for Washington last year. But, look, I know the Giants only had what they could, but at the end of the day, my only issue is is that if you're trying to get a full evaluation of Daniel Jones, you could have possibly supplied him with a little bit more ammo just simply because the guys you currently have on the depth chart have not proven to be healthy. Right. No, you're absolutely right. Like, they could have – like, I think they re- went in the right direction with their first, like, three picks, at least, you know, with Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal right off the board. I think those were more higher priorities than wide receiver. And then they did go out and get Wandale Moore, who I think is going to be okay. I mean, he's definitely their value pick. They got him in the second round, and, you know, it's a, va- it's a value pick for them. He wasn't anything great, so – but they're going to be banking on, like you mentioned, like they're all injured. They're going to be banking on Kenny Galladay to be healthy, Sterling Shepard to be healthy, Kadarius Tony to be healthy, all these guys to stay healthy. That's what they're banking on, you know. And if they if they aren't healthy, you're not going to see a productive year out of Daniel Jones, and you're going to see him cut because you already know they didn't. They already, we were, we all know it. They didn't pick up his fifth year option, so he's on the hot seat going into the season. And if he doesn't perform, he's getting the boot. I think the Giants aren't expecting miracles this season. I think they know they're not going to be a very good team in their first season. Because I still think the NFC East is a little weak. But, you know, the Eagles got a lot better, obviously, with, you know, the trade for A.J. Brown, the drafting of Jordan Davis. You know, the Cowboys are are going to be a tough out. Although I was a little surprised the Cowboys didn't really address wide receiver after they traded Amari Cooper. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, listen, the Commanders are a team that I I don't know what to make of Carson Wentz as their quarterback. But I do think that they have – a very, they have a good offense. I mean, Terry McLaurin, Antonio Gibson, now you add Jahan Dotson to that mix. You have a very good pass rush with, uh, you know, Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne. And, you know, I don't know when Chase Young will actually see the field this year because he's recovering from a torn ACL. But, um, you know, right now, the Giants know that they're not going to be that good of a team. So it's going to be tough to evaluate a guy like Daniel Jones. Because if you don't give Daniel Jones the tools, he's not going to succeed. The same argument that everybody made about Sam Darnold, I can easily make for Daniel Jones. Now, Daniel Jones has shown some flashes, but more times than not, he hasn't lived up to the role as a franchise quarterback. Well, Kenny Galladay, right. But Kenny Galladay as a number one receiver just hasn't been very good. 
and he's always I, injured. I, I've I've said it since Daniel Jones has gotten drafted. He had a great rookie year, Daniel Jones, and since that point on, the Giants have done nothing but not help him whatsoever, especially on that offensive line. Mm-hmm. Like the offensive line has been abysmal, and you know people they talk about. Oh yeah, he fumbles the ball all the time. I'm like, yeah, he may fumble the ball, but he has no one protecting him. Maybe that's why he's fumbling the ball so much. Maybe if he had a little bit of time to run or some time to like stay in the pocket or do whatever, he can hold on to the ball a little bit better. And then even last year when they trade when they decided to trade back to get to Kadarius Tony instead of drafting Rashawn Slater. Like, I thought that was a big botch. Kadarius Tony, good player. I liked the guy. I'm don't get me wrong here. But if Daniel Jones doesn't have time to throw in the pocket, then getting all these weapons means absolutely nothing. So at least they went out and they drafted Evan Neal, who I think was the best offensive tackle in this draft. And they got a guy in the third round and Joshua Enzuto from the guard from North Carolina. So they're steps in the right direction a little bit, you know. But again, if you can't get a full evaluation out of Daniel Jones, if his wide receivers are going to be injured and his offensive line isn't going to block for him. All right, so let's get into finishing up the show like we always like we're going to do with the NFL draft. Um, you know, Clem and I to do the the big Moffat on the mic test where we do multiple choice to everything that happened at the NFL draft because it would take us forever to analyze every little bit and piece of the NFL draft. So I have six questions here, multiple choice. I'm going to fire them off and then we're going to discuss them. So here we go, Clem. Number one, in your opinion. Biggest surprise pick of the first round was A, Patriots selecting Cole Strange, B, the Texans selecting Derek Stingley, C, the Jaguars selecting Trayvon Walker with the number one pick, or D, the Saints trading up with the Commanders to select Chris Olave at number 11. I'm going to say the Texans drafting Derek Stingley. Just because of the fact that, you know, leading up when the seasons ended, you know, college and NFL seasons ended, the mock draft started flowing, you know, and we saw Derek Stingley at the top of that list, like in the top, he was projected to be a top five pick. But since that point on, he was dropping immensely, you know, further and further and further each and every you know month as it, as it went on. And he was projected to be somewhere in about like between like 10 and 15 being picked. And then all of a sudden, on draft day, the Texans take him at three over Sauce Gardner, who Sauce Gardner has went went up and up and up up everyone's everyone's draft stock. And for them to take Derek Stingley at three, and granted, I don't even think they should have taken a Sauce Gardner at there. I think they should have either went a defensive end or offensive lineman with that pick. But to take Derek Stingley like that in a situation where you didn't really need a cornerback and your team's going to stink anyway. So you might as well get at least players to – and if Davis Mills is going to be your quarterback of the future, you might as well build around Davis Mills, not around a defense, you know? Um, I agree with you. Derek Stingley Jr. was definitely one. Um, I'm going to make an argument for the Jaguars taking Trayvon Walker first overall. Trayvon Walker was a guy to me that just seemed like he was shooting up draft boards, like almost like – remember like when Vernon Golston was shooting up draft boards and then he turned out to be – a major bust, obviously. I don't think that will happen necessarily with Trayvon Walker, but I, I think if I was the Jaguars at the first overall pick, I would have probably gone a different route and just taken Aiden Hutchinson because I just thought he was a surefire, better pass rusher than Trayvon Walker. So for me, I would have went the safe route and either gotten Aiden Hutchinson 
or Kayvon Thibodeau if you wanted to go with a pass rusher. It's not that I don't think Trayvon Walker will be a good pass rusher. I just don't know if I would have taken him with the number one overall pick in this draft. So no, I was surprised by it. But I was definitely surprised by the Texans taking Derek Stingley because that one just seemed to come out of left field, completely out of left field. You know what? I was a little bit more surprised that you didn't list it. The, the Lions trading up 20 picks to get Jameson Williams. You see, that's not a pick that – that's not one that surprised me, and I'll tell you why. It's no secret that the Lions are completely rebuilding. They know they're not going to be a very competitive team next year. So why don't you go out and get a guy who is projected by many to be the top receiver in this draft class if not for a torn ACL? You see, a team like the Lions can definitely take their time and let Jamison Williams recover so that he's ready to go. And then when he does, pairing him with Amandra St. Brown, who had a great rookie season last year, now you're starting to build a receiving core there, which is what you need. And then pairing them with TJ Hawkinson at, you know, to go with DeAndre Swift in the backfield, now the Lions are starting to form an offense. So See, I don't think, think that bad of a tr- – I, I didn't think it was a bad move at all by the Lions because they're a team that's not going anywhere anyway this year. I, I get it. I get it from that point. But, you know, I just was a little shocked at Because you usually never see a team. And if you are trading up that many picks, I figured when they traded up to 12, I'm like, oh, shit, they're going to get Malik Willis here. Like, they're going to go get that quarterback right here. Because you don't trade up 20 spots to get a wide receiver, especially an injured wide receiver. And I get what you're saying. I 100% agree with what you're saying. But I just figured, you know, they had the 32nd pick. They could have, and it, like you mentioned, Amari St. Brown had an amazing rookie year. The, they could have stayed at 32 and maybe could have drafted a guy like John Mechie or Christian Watson or Sky Moore, you know, someone to pair along nice who obviously those guys aren't going to be number ones, but they could develop into being something alongside of Maury St. Brown at 32. I think this is definitely not the draft to trade 20 spots up for a quarterback. Agree. No, also agree. Right. 20 spots up to draft Malik Willis. But again, you have to love the guy. And if you love the guy and you know he's not going to be there at 32, you got to make the ballsy move. That's why I don't really give the Lions too much of a hard time there. I actually really like that move for them because, again, they're a team that is going nowhere this year. They can easily let Jamison Williams rehab his, his ACL until he's good and ready to take the field for them. Right. I was very impressed. I, I actually thought it was a pretty ballsy move by Detroit because you don't really see the Lions do those moves very often. Right. So. All right, number two, the most overhyped storyline, and there were plenty during the fucking draft, was A, Malik Willis falling to the third round. B, Desmond Ritter potentially being a week one starter for the Falcons because of his leadership. C, the numerous erections for the Philadelphia Eagles and the Baltimore Ravens drafts. D, the Patriots' questionable draft selections. Or E, N'Kobe Dean plummeting to the third round due to injury concerns. I'm going to say the most overhyped story was Malik Willis going into the third, uh, getting drafted into the third round. It was more of, I think that people were going to draft Malik Willis just because it was like they needed a quarterback. And they were like, you know what? Screw it. We'll draft a quarterback in this round because there's no one else. You might as well go get your quarterback now. And me and you were really the only ones to say, like, this really wasn't a great draft class. And we saw it there. I told, I told, I told you from day one, I was like, you can't convince me that a guy who went to Liberty 
is going to be drafted six overall. And granted, people say, yeah, but look at Josh Allen. He went to Wyoming. True. Okay, but at least he played in the Mountain West. I don't even know what Conference Liberty is in, you know? Like, this was – it was, he – it just didn't make any sense to me. I mean, granted, maybe he is a good quarterback. I really have no idea because I didn't watch any Liberty game. Like, 90% of the people, I bet, didn't watch any Liberty games this year. They probably just watched the highlight tape and was just like, oh, he looks like a good quarterback. He can run. He can throw. He has decent accuracy. He could be a good quarterback. Like, I just didn't see the hype around Malik Willis. I saw – I can understand the hype around a guy like Kenny Pickett. Granted, I think he went right where he deserved to be at the 20th pick. I thought that was a perfect draft for – a perfect pick for the Steelers. But for a guy like Malik Willis, it just didn't make any sense for him to go in the first round, let alone the second. Um, You know, for me, I was a little bit torn on this one. Because part of me wants to say the numerous erections for the Philadelphia Eagles and the Baltimore Ravens draft, because I got so sick and tired of hearing about how great of a general manager Eric DaCosta is with the Ravens. It was just enough. Okay. We get it. The Ravens are a good drafting team, but it doesn't mean shit if you don't win. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean anything. And I am so tired of hearing this. Okay. They could not stop gushing about the Baltimore Ravens getting Travis Jones and Tyler Linderbaum and Kyle Hamilton and David Ojabo, who can't even play this year. So, and then drafting two tight ends in Charlie Kohler and Isaiah Likely. They could not stop talking about it, and it was just absolutely ridiculous. As for the Eagles, the Eagles are always overhyped every season. It doesn't matter who you put on that fucking team. They're always overhyped. Now the big news is about A.J. Brown, which I thought was a good trade for the Eagles. I definitely did. I thought, I think the Titans panicked, but I, I think that the Titans panicked because I think they didn't want to pay A.J. Brown, and all of a sudden he wanted out, so they made a deal. And it eerily reminds me of the year that the Jets traded Darrell Revis. And in that draft, they took D. Milner. Mm -hmm. And they panicked, and they had to replace Darrell Rivas. The Titans had to replace A.J. Brown, and they immediately drafted Traylon Burks. So, for me, that was one thing. But I'm going to go with this Desmond Ritter thing, and I'll tell you why. You see, the problem I have with the Desmond Ritter story is that he was never projected to be a first-round quarterback. Okay? Right. Never projected to be a first-round quarterback. In fact, there were many drafts that didn't have him even projected in the second round. Yeah. The earliest he was going to be was a third-round quarterback in a lot of people's eyes. All right? You already know that he is not going to be a week one starter for the, for the Falcons, unless the Falcons just throw him out to the Wolves via trial by fire. But the problem I'm having with it is, is you didn't really think much of his skills beforehand. Now, all of a sudden, you're going on and on about how great of a leader he is. And he's going to bring all these leadership skills to the Falcons and, and everything. And I'm like, I don't get why these analysts and these ESPN guys and these NFL Network guys, they get such a fucking hard-on for these things. And it always turns out to be nothing, much ado about nothing. Okay, Desmond Ritter is a good leader. Let's see what happens when the Falcons are losing six in a row, and we'll test his fucking leadership skills then. Yeah. Okay? Spare me this bullshit because it's like every time a quarterback got taken in this draft, Clint, it was such a big deal. It was absolutely ludicrous to me how you can make such a big deal every time a fucking quarterback got taken. Malik Willis is slipping. Oh, my God, the big story. Malik Willis is 
he's not that good. <laughs> you completely overhyped him because you automatically assume that a team that needs a quarterback desperately has to take one in the first round. But if this is not a quarterback-rich draft, why am I going to waste my time taking a quarterback in the first round? Unless I absolutely positively have to have that guy. And even in the more ridiculous notion of it was, the Panthers traded a third-round pick in next year's draft just to get in the third round of this year's draft to take Matt Corral. Now, my question is for the Panthers, what changed between the day before the draft and now where you felt that Matt Corral was worth a third-round pick? It's the overratedness. You need guys that can play now. And when you're trading for a third-round pick, you do not trade a third-round pick the following year for a developmental quarterback. You trade for a guy that's going to help you now because Matt Rule needs help because he could get fired if the Panthers miss the playoffs. So why are you going to waste a third-round pick on a quarterback that has little to no chance to play for you this year? If you throw Matt Corral out there week one, he's going to get destroyed. You're better off throwing Sam out there and letting him take his lumps. And then you throw Corral out there midseason. But it does nothing for Matt Rule by wasting a third-round pick on a quarterback who is going to be a backup to start the season. Yeah. It's, it's, very, it's very rare where you see a guy drafted on day two or day three start day one. Little uh, prime examples, you know, Russell Wilson, Andy Dalton. Really, it no one else, Derek Carr. You know, those are really the only guys of recent memory who were taken day two, day three, who started and actually had you know decent careers until Andy Dolan shit the bed and Derek Carr and Russell Wilson are still playing at the top of their game. But other than that, you if you're drafting a guy on, was, on day every time a quarterback got drafted, it was such a big deal because there was a lot of hype around these guys for no reason. For no reason, there was hype around all these quarterbacks. The you know, I like Desmond Ritter. Projected to go in the first round were Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis. Yep. Only two guys. And just to go show you how bad this quarterback class is, Malik Willis was projected to be a top 10 pick by so many people doing mock drafts, went in the third round. And that's all you need to know about how bad this quarterback class was this year. Exactly. You, like none of the, you, you start, they start Mariota, let Mariota play, and if it gets to the point where he's a complete disaster, then you could throw Desmond Ritter out there if you want to. But Desmond Ritter needs to sit and he needs to watch. Yes. It's okay if he doesn't start right away. You, that's not why. He is supposed to be your future quarterback. You start him – Towards the end of the season, when the season's gone to shit and Mariota is no is no longer useful to the team. No, you're absolutely right, and I like Desmond Ritter a lot. I think he could be a good quarterback, but he none of, none of these guys that were drafted either day one, two, or three for as quarterbacks are day one starters. Not even Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett is not a day one starter. The Steelers they're going to have either you know Mason Rudolph or Trubisky start day one, 
And then maybe down the road, around maybe game week 10, 11, 12, depending on how the Steelers are, that's when you might see Kenny Pickett play. You know, that's – but none of these guys are day one guys. Not Malik Willis, who we knew – me, Craig, I'm, I'm positive me and you were the only ones who didn't see the hype around Malik Willis. Didn't see the hype around Desmond Ritter. Kenny – well, I, 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 like I said, I love Kenny Pickett. I thought he, everybody just projects players to go – quarterbacks to go in the first round because, well, a team needs a quarterback. Yeah. Well, I don't want to fucking draft a quarterback. How many drafts, how many mocks did we see Kenny Pickett going to the Carolina Panthers or Malik Willis going to the Carolina Panthers at six? There was when, – when I was watching the draft, they put up a stat. It was like 98% of mock drafts have uh, like Malik Willis going with this pick. And they went with uh, – I don't even know uh, – Iguana. They went with Icky Iguana. Yeah, smart pick, like you said. It was a very good pick. I said, you have to get a guy that can help you now. Okay. Either get a pass rusher, a linebacker, or or um, an offensive line. All right, number three, the team that did not have as good of a draft as everyone may think were A, the Jaguars, B, the Ravens, C, the Titans, or D, the Lions? You go first because I don't know their drafts off the top of my head like that. All right, I'm gonna say the I'm gonna say the Jaguars, and the reason why I'm gonna say the Jaguars is, and this will probably come up later. They did next to nothing to help Trevor Lawrence mm-hmm. in the draft. Now, I'm not saying the picks were bad. Drafting Trayvon Walker, drafting Devin Lloyd, and drafting Chad Moma for your defense is is fine, but you did next to nothing to help Trevor Lawrence. And what you that means is you are now banking on Christian Kirk to be Devontae Adams. And he is not going to be Devontae Adams. You are expecting a guy like Zay Jones, who I think only had like 30 catches last year, to practically double that output in Jacksonville. Or Evan Engram to have a big season as a tight end. I don't know if it's feasible is my point. And I thought that the Jaguars should not have automatically steamrolled you with all this defense. And they should have invested in some offense to help Trevor Lawrence. No, I, I, I agree with you there. And, you know, I granted, I think the defensive guys they drafted are very good. Trayvon Walker, Chad Moma, Devin Lloyd. I think those are all – I think they'll all be fantastic players. But your big thing was – is Trevor Lawrence. That's your big, that's your ticket right there. That's your ticket to the promised land. And you did, they did nothing to help him out. They didn't get any offensive linemen. They didn't get any wide receivers. Granted, yeah, your running back room is fine with Travis Entienne and, uh, and, and uh, James Robinson. But like you mentioned, you're banking everything on Christian Kirk being Devontae Adams, and that's not going to happen. We all know that's not going to happen. Like they did nothing to really help out Trevor Lawrence. Like it's you're re- you're almost bringing back the same exact offense that you did last year. Granted, yeah, you got Cam Robinson, he's okay, and you got you brought in Brandon Scherf, so you have two good offensive linemen there. Outside of those guys, you really got nothing on the offensive line, and you brought in Christian Kirk. We all know Christian Kirk is an average to below average wide receiver. He's not he's not Devonte Adams. He's not DeAndre Hopkins. He's none of these guys. He's not Stephon Diggs. 
Like they did literally nothing to help this man out, and it, he it, it might it might hurt them in the long run. Like like I said, granted, defensive guys they drafted were great picks. I love Devin Lloyd, I love Trayvon Walker, and I love Chad Moma. But again, Trevor Lawrence is your big money ticket. Trevor Lawrence is your future. You got to build it around him, not around a terrible defense. Okay, number four. The first-round pick that was sneaky good for the team that made it was A, the Lions trading up to get Jamison Williams, B, the Ravens selecting Kyle Hamilton, C, the Commanders selecting Jahan Dotson, or D, the Texans selecting Kenyon Green. I'm going to go with the Ravens drafting Kyle Hamilton, only for the sole fact that going into this draft, people, draft analysts, NFL execs all said that Kyle Hamilton was the most NFL-ready player in this draft class. You know, and to put him alongside already stacked Ravens defense only makes it better for the Ravens because now you're putting him there. I mean, granted, yeah, look, they were probably the Ravens were probably going to go Jordan Davis up until the Eagles traded in front of them. And I think at that point, the Ravens like, screw it, let's take the best available and let's take Kyle Hamilton. And the fact that Kyle Ham- Hamilton fell that far is a little shocking to me because, like I said, people had him as the most NFL-ready player in this draft class, and he fell all the way to a 14. So the fact that the Ravens got arguably a top-five player in this draft at 14 made it all worthwhile for them to take him. You know, I had a lot of time to think about this, and I'm going to say that it's the Lions getting Jamison Williams. And, I mean, for the reasons we said before, the Lions are not going to be a good team, and they know that. Mm-hmm. This guy was the projected best receiver in this class before he tore his ACL in the National Championship game. If he hadn't torn his ACL, he'd probably be a Jet right now or a, Fal- or a Falcon at number eight. Okay? Um, truth be told, the Lions can take their time with him. They can let him kind of take his time and rehab and everything. But – you kind of get the sense that the Lions are building a good receiving core now. They're finally waking up to the fact that they need a good receiving core. And it starts with Jamison Williams. You already have Amonra St. Brown, who I thought was very good last year in his rookie season. TJ Hawkinson. I know they added a guy like Josh Reynolds from, you know, who played for the Rams, who played for the Titans before he went to the Lions. And then you have a backfield with DeAndre Swift, which I thought was a very, very solid pick for them. And by next year, they will most likely have their quarterback of the future because Jared Goff is probably not going to be there. But the Lions have drafted defense for so long, and it's never really worked. And it was about time they finally just drafted an offensive player, like a solid offensive player. And I think adding a guy like Jamison Williams was a very sneaky good move, not only for this year, because whatever he gives you this year is gold. But next year, too, when you're going to have a a young signal caller – a young, good signal caller, probably, because I think the quarterback class next year will probably be pretty decent, better than this class, at least. CJ Stroud and Bryce Young already. Yeah. You're going to have a guy that's going to be working with all these young receivers, and the Lions are going to start building something. And you could even draft another receiver next year, which is probably what you should do anyway, because the more offensive weapons you have, the better. Yeah. But I really like Jamison Williams going to the Lions just because of the fact that they're a team – that is in no rush right now to have him out there. It wouldn't have worked for the Jets because the Jets are under a lot of expectations this year. So having Jamison Williams miss time does not help Zach Wilson at all. And Zach Wilson needs guys who can play right now. 
But for a team like the Lions, who can take their time a bit, this was the perfect move for them. I thought it was a very, very sneaky good move. Yeah. All right, number five, the team that helped their quarterback the least in this draft was A, the Chicago Bears, B, the Jacksonville Jaguars, C, the Houston Texans, or D, the Baltimore Ravens. Well, I already gave my reasons as to why the Jacksonville Jaguars didn't help their uh, didn't help Trevor Lawrence. So, but I'm going to say the the Baltimore Ravens because they've been lacking wide receivers for a very very long time right now, and they drafted uh, who was it? Rashad Bateman last year, and he underperformed immensely, and they just traded away Hollywood Brown. So you already lost wide receiver help right there, and they didn't really address it in this draft like yeah, you have, now, you have, now making it worse is you pissed off your franchise quarterback exactly that 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 was gonna be my next thing i was gonna say you have a good you have a good quarterback in lamar jackson who who proved to everyone that he can throw the quarter that he can throw the ball and that he's not just a running quarterback he can he can stay in the pocket and throw the ball when needed and the, since that point on they the They've failed to address him in the draft. They have failed to address the wide receiver needs in the draft and help him out. Yeah, they got Marquise Brown a couple of years ago, but he he was nothing. The fact that they, first of all, the fact that they got a first round pick for him in this draft is insane. I thought the Browns were stupid to do that trade, but that's another story. They drafted Rashad Bateman last year, who was who underperformed like who underperformed, and that's really all they have at wide receiver. They really don't have anyone else. Like, yeah, Mark Andrews is there. Cool. Mark Andrews is a great tight end. I love Mark Andrews. But outside of Mark Andrews, they got nothing. J.K. Dobbins is a good wide receiver, uh, running uh, running back. But, again, not anything in the wide receiver area. They have nothing. They help nothing out for Lamar Jackson. Well, here's my problem with what the Ravens did. Number one is you drafted two tight ends. So now you have three tight ends, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with having depth at the tight end position. But when you're counting on those guys to play a role in the passing game, how do you get all three tight ends on the field? Exactly. Mark Andrews is not going to give up time after he just had a 100-catch season last year and over a 1,000 yards receiving. Mm -hmm. Now, we know the Ravens are a ground-and-pound team. That's what they do. But they were also one of the worst passing teams last year in the league. I think they were ranked at the bottom of the league in passing last year. Lamar Jackson only threw for like 2,800 yards. He only had 16 passing touchdowns last year. And he had 13 interceptions. You're going to go into a season now where you have Rashad Bateman and Devin DuVernay as your one and two. That's not acceptable. And if I was smart, and the thing is, look, I always thought Hollywood Brown was a little overrated. But he was still better than what you had in wide receivers. You're going to be a a heavy run team. That's fine. But eventually Lamar Jackson's legs are going to give out. They're not going to be – he's not going to be able to handle the stress of running every game for 100 yards. And I'm sorry, but you did nothing to make this wide receiving core better. And when teams start to figure out Lamar Jackson, he's not going to have anybody to throw to that's really – I'm not saying Rashad Bateman isn't a good player, but now you're banking on this guy to be your number one receiver. Right. Like, I didn't think the Ravens – now, the Ravens by name, yes, they drafted well. Travis Jones, Tyler Linderbaum, Kyle Hamilton. But you should have drafted a receiver to go with Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson needs as many weapons as he can get. 
So in my opinion, I think the Ravens really dropped the ball there. But the team, in my opinion, that helped their quarterback out the least, it's a no-brainer. It's Chicago. And we have this discussion all the time, okay? I don't want to fucking hear it anymore. I'm sick and tired of listening to people give these quarterbacks a pass because they don't have the weapons. Then you blame the fucking GM. Trevor Lawrence could catch a break this year again because he doesn't have adequate weapons on the outside. Meanwhile, Zach Wilson gets shit on when half of his receivers were hurt all of last year. But that doesn't matter, right, Clem? Doesn't matter. No, Zach Wilson had to be a pro bowler with what he had. Trevor Lawrence got away with murder. Got away with fucking murder, thanks to Urban Meyer. The Urban Meyer fiasco. The the Chicago Bears did absolutely nothing to help Justin Fields. Mm -hmm. All they have right now is Byron Pringle, and Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet. I mean, I guess if you're tanking the season, fine, but this is just going to stunt Fields' development. If you're not going to give the guy the weapons, then don't draft the damn quarterback. Because Fields is going to regress. He's learning a whole new system now with a new coach. you got to give him the tools. I just don't understand the logic. Why is that so hard for these guys? He took he had two second round picks. He drafted secondary guys with his first two second round picks. He drafted Kyler Kyler Gordon and Jaquan Brisker. Good picks, I'm not saying they're not. But you don't have to spend both of your second your second round picks on secondary. Could have probably drafted George Pickens. You could have probably drafted Somebody. I mean, you drafted nobody until the third round. I don't know. That was just a terrible job at the Chicago Bears. It's an absolutely terrible job. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. And again, like Byron, if you even look at prime example, Byron Pringle was like the four wide receiver for the Chiefs. Now you're gonna come you're asking him to come and be the two on the Bears. Like that's a huge, huge difference. And especially huge difference in quarterbacks thrown to you. It's one thing Patrick Mahomes thrown to you. Now you have a second year guy. Who's going to be thrown to you? And Darnell Mooney is not a one, number one wide receiver. He's good. I'll give Darnell Mooney his, his his props where props are due. But he's not a number one wide receiver. They did nothing to help out Fields. And it, it's sad because I like Justin Fields. I really do. All right, last but not least, number five. The team that had six, the team that had the best draft of the weekend were A, the Baltimore Ravens, B, the Jets, C, the Eagles, or D, the Packers. Repeat those again. I got I got Yeah, I think. A, the Baltimore Ravens. B, the Jets. C, the Eagles. Or D, the Packers. Look, I mean, I mean, I know it may sound biased here, but I'm going to see the New York Jets. The Jets arguably had the best draft out of everyone in this class. According to, you know, all the things I was reading, not even what Joe Douglas had, had these guys, uh, had these guys, you know, planned out. They had... The three guys they drafted all had pro football focus grades of 92 and higher. You know, I think Sauce was like a 96. uh, Garrett Wilson was like a 94. And Jermaine Johnson was a 92. 
Like no team has ever done that before in in in, in drafting. You had more than one first round pick. Plus, Joe Douglas said that all three of the guys they drafted were on their top eight, like in their top eight best players in the draft. So the fact that they were able to run away with that, plus get a, another offensive weapon in Brees Hall and Jeremy Ruckert in the second and third round and make the moves that they did to get these players was insane. Like they filled, they, they, what the Jets needed going into the draft, they got minus linebackers. They got their pass rusher. They got wide receiver help. They got running back and tight end help, and they got help in the secondary. The Jets, unbiasedly, like I said, not that I'm a, I'm not saying this because I'm a Jets fan. I'm saying this because I'm an NFL fan. I love football, and that the Jets had the best draft out of anyone in this in this draft class. Um, I completely agree with you, but I'm just I'm going to take a different route. It's not that I don't think the Jets had the best draft, or you know, I think they had a very very good draft. I couldn't have asked for a better draft, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But one team I'm going to kind of be I'm going to tell you is a little bit of a surprise that had a really good draft. I thought the Green Bay Packers had a really good draft. Mm-hmm. I loved a lot of their moves they made. They get their two first round picks. They already they improve a very strong defense with Quay Walker and Devontae Wyatt. I thought those were terrific moves, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You get their receiver in the second round with Christian Watson, who I think could have a huge year under Aaron Rodgers. And they get another receiver in the fourth round when they draft Romeo Dubes from Nevada. Mm-hmm. And they drafted Sean Ryan to help on the offensive line. So those picks alone, those guys are going to be instant contributors to this Packers team. I thought the Jets had a very good draft. I thought the Eagles had a good draft. And I thought the Ravens had a good draft. I think the Ravens draft is highly overrated because I think they like, you know, they always, people try to act like everything Eric DaCosta does turns into gold. But I mean, at the end of the day, you left your team with literally nothing at wide receiver to draft Tyler Linderbaum and um, Kyle Hamilton and the other guy. I can't remember. Travis Jones. So, Overall, though, I love what the Packers did. Like, I really did. I really like the the depth they put on defense. You know, again, I love the Quay Walker pick at 22, and then they get Devontae White at the end of the first round. And then in the second round, they get Christian Watson. But you know what the most important thing was, Clem? Is that according to Rodgers, he was okay with that. Yeah. And you know Aaron Rodgers has been a very outspoken individual about a lot of things Green Bay's done. And this was one time where he wasn't. And that's a huge win for Green Bay right off the bat. And now he got him two receivers who will definitely contribute this year in Christian Watson and Romeo Dubes to go with Sammy Watkins, to go with um, Robert Tanyan again at tight end. You already have a strong running game with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. I think, they, I think the Packers have Randall Cobb again for another year. I really, really like what the Packers did. I was really impressed. So I'll go with the Packers, even though you know I love what the Jets did as well. All right, everyone, that's going to do it for this episode of the Moffat on the Mic show for this week. We're going to take a little bit of a break from doing shows. We're going to, we're, we might have a show next week, but right now we're going to say no. But just keep checking out the website. Keep checking the live feed um, as we're trying to kind of do a little bit of a different format to the show and everything. But, you know, Clem, take the time. Enjoy yourself. Um, you know, we'll see what we can do. But thank you for always holding it down like you always do. Uh, special thank you, of course, to the one and only Jamie D'Amico for coming on our show. 
to talk Buffalo Bills football again. Check out the Bill Lee podcast with him and his friend Big Newt. You will not be disappointed. He is our go-to guy for Buffalo Bills news and info, and uh, he's always been a good friend to the show, and we always look forward to having him on, so definitely check him out. And, uh, again, you can follow the show on Instagram. I'm off on the mic and on my Facebook page as well. Follow Clem in the A1 Sports Network on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. On behalf of Clem, this is Craig. Wherever you are, take care of yourself. We'll be back soon with a new episode. I'll be in touch with Clem to figure it out. But um, wherever you are, stay safe. Enjoy the rest of the week. Clem, we'll definitely be in touch soon to talk about a new show. All right? Definitely. Take care of yourself. Have a great rest of the week. And we'll be back before you know it. Have a good one, everybody.